on today's show, we are getting to know Kariana. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media. It's Andre Psyche. That's P-S-Y-C-H-E. The next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me earn a monthly income that will be put towards podcast expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon for as little as $2 a month. There are all sorts of costs that I had no fucking idea about associated with posting podcasts, not to mention the need for equipment and production. So dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests or just want to help keep the pod going, go to our Patreon. The link's in the description and your support of the Getting to Know You pod is very much appreciated. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You pod on. Did that? Thank you. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on your social media like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Go ahead, open those apps, click away if you haven't already. Thanks again. Three, go to Apple, write a review. The internet tells me this might be the most important and impactful. So thank you. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs through our Patreon or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to Getting to hope you like me Because I'm good enough Getting to know you Putting it my way But nicely I'm smart enough You are precisely And doggone it Actually, her name is Carrie Ann. Carrie Ann, thank you so much for coming on, slandering my beautiful beach town and um, letting people get to know you. I so appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. I um I feel like we're going to be best friends. I got to be honest with you. I I have that feeling. <laughs> I I'm so excited that you were one of the people who were like this seems like such a random ass scam. I don't know if I trust you. Yeah. Fuck, I thought I was like getting scammed. Jesus. Right? And then I still um do. I'm not sure, but I'm going with it. No. I'm hopeful. So, have you like actually gone on whatever? Spotify, yeah. Apple, Google yes. like verified me? I trusted you is because I went on Spotify and I was like, no scammers going this far out of their way to, you know, create content. This is going the next level. And I trusted you because of that. Did you trust the link I sent you or did you Google yourself? I just went to Spotify and I looked you up. Okay. But the reason it's funny is because I'm pretty sure you found me because I commented on one of Ritual's podcasts and I like was making fun of the person on the podcast, the guy that needed a glass of water. I was like, oh, I couldn't handle it. Could you, the guy's voice was so gross. You, you could hear it, right? <laughs> I, you know what I'm talking about? So, so I, I honestly don't. And it's the shittiest part about me is I remember in the moment. So here's, 
here's my creative process. You as an artist, and by the way, your Instagram, just cyber stalking you, the oh. art's fucking cool. Like, I mean, oh, it, it's real detailed. It's these thank streetscapes. You. It's, I'm not that good with like the, the mediums of art, but I feel yeah. like it has these bold pops of mm -hmm. almost like would look really cool in black and white, but then you've taken a black and white image and somehow painted it to add color pops to it. And it's I like that. Yeah. It, it, it just yeah. scrolling through. I'm like, dude, I'm fucking impressed. But wow. anyway, my, <laughs> my process as a podcast artist is I go and get lunch and I day drink, especially in the mm -hmm. summer when I'm not teaching. And I look at people who follow podcasters and who leave mm -hmm. comments. Cause I figure if they follow podcasters on Instagram, especially yeah. people who are like long form podcasters, more conversational, mm -hmm. they're going to be, they're going to be open to being on a podcast. That's conversational. That's, so, uh, that's very intuitive. I like that. So all that to say, I don't remember outside of the moment what makes me message people because I'll sit there and fucking fire off 50 messages because yeah. I feel like Instagram almost hides or does something to me because I look like a spammer. Okay. So it's shadow ban? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's shadow banning or if it's just like stalking, like dampering my stalking. <laughs> yeah. I think with all the crypto stuff going on, they probably have some level of like security on that. But yeah, because I'll get messages being like, remember, this is a happy place to comment. Um, so yeah. all that to be like, I do not remember what exactly the comment was, although I guarantee you it was better than like hand clap emojis or just fire emojis. I'm sure well, it was something witty. Rich Roll had a guy on his uh, podcast and the guy's voice, you know, when you have not had a glass of water and you need a glass of water and you start having that frog in your throat thing and like yes. both of us know it's happening, but neither of us are going to say anything about it. It was one of those <laughs> things that I just, I couldn't help myself. I have no filter, so. I love it. I I think that's probably it. I was like, dude, if she's just gonna shit on this guest, let's <laughs> have her on so that. Well, thank you. We can get Flattered. her all dry throated. That's awesome. And is this your first podcast experience? Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I've always wanted to um, like get my own gear. I've been talking about it for like two years. Just like I love. I feel like the last two years. There's, there's been like a, a, we're all deprived and starved of like conversation. And I feel like I am one of those people where if I'm in a social gathering and there's not some depth in my conversation, I'm just like, it's like intolerable to me not in a pretentious way. It's just like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm getting anything out of it. So I've always like wanted to have conversations with people and do this. So this is like a dream come true, to be honest. And so what's stopping you from starting? Oh, no, I mean, my problem is like... So I have so many different hobbies and interests and I feel like sometimes I'm a victim of my own curiosity. Like for instance, you went on my Instagram and probably saw my photography and I worked in New York and I spent more time going off on my breaks and taking pictures and like editing and it became something that I was really interested in and then took that to a level and then sort of, well, once COVID came, I stopped taking photos as much and then there's, I love cooking and then I, I like love music. I love writing. And it's sort of like, I'm always battling myself to figure out which one I want, you know? And so podcasting would actually make the most sense because it would allow me to talk about all of them or any one of them. But I don't know. I just feel like I'm kind of crippled by my own desires sometimes. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think you're overthinking it. 
I think you should I just. Think that's probably it. Yeah, man. Um, I and it's funny because, and I'm by no way an expert, although I will flex. You are on a top ten thousand podcast for global reach, not just really? the United States, global. Out of two point four million podcasts. Well, that's like 10, just organically too. You just did this on your own. Yeah, and so I was thinking about that shit today to humble brag a little bit. And it was like, mm. it was just this weird fucking idea. I'm taking a selfie with like headphones and trying to figure out how I can do this without costing myself a lot of money, which yeah. gets me to your point. So I'm on a Mac and we're using a free Google Meet. I'm yeah. recording the audio through QuickTime. I throw it into GarageBand to level it. And then mm -hmm. Podbean's like $100 a year. Uh well, I guess maybe in my head that is too. Like I'm thinking I'm going on Amazon and I want the best quality this and that. And it just seems like, but it's, you're right. It's an overthinking process. And I tend to do that in most cases, but I also, I guess from my perspective, I never like you, you actually are very enlightening for me because I never thought you could just organically start something where you're just shooting the shit with people and having a conversation. And that's like the ideal situation, you know? And I think you will absolutely grow it because it's you're good at what you do. So it definitely gives me um, hope for sure. Yeah. I think if you have interest, so the one thing that fucks me up is I don't have a niche or a niche, right? Yeah. And that fucks me up as far as like advertisers because downloads are there. There's no target market. It can yeah, completely fill it. For instance, say again, but it's for instance, like if you're on YouTube and you're a finance um, YouTuber, you're, sponsorships would be way more like cost uh, in a good way. You'd make so much more money because your, your niche is so perfect. You know, yeah, you're focused on finance or if I'm focused on health or like even the categories I have to choose are weird. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like health and fitness. Cause I, I have a bunch of like life coaches on and we just talk about yeah. life and fitness <laughs> society and culture. And I forget what the third one is, but none of them are just like humanistic yeah. random people. Oh well, Yeah. That's one of the issues too. I feel like I don't like the idea of being limited to things. I don't like feeling like, like if I want to have a podcast, I do want it to be this like vast, um, like diverse range of things to talk about. And I don't like that sense of like, it's like essentially you're being told that you have to master one thing, correct? And like no. speak about it in detail where that's not the truth, but it's like that fear of not having that niche might be the reason you don't want to push forward, but it's, it's stupid. It's well, limiting. Yeah. Well, the fear if you're worried about presenting data, almost like what you were saying about your Instagram is like, you were like, hey, I don't use my Instagram like for a ton of sales. I just post yeah. really cool pictures and really cool art and creative shit. And apparently when you don't know how to play a ukulele, you like to sing <laughs> shit like that, right? Oh, you saw that? Okay. Yeah, I dude, I keep trying to scroll. Sometimes I think about that post and I'm like, oh, like I can't listen to myself. So I pretend dude, it's not there, but. Dude, you've got like a great voice. Beginning of COVID, you know, the beginning of COVID when like, Basically, everyone might as well have been drunk all day and no one would have known. I wasn't one of those people, though, because I quit drinking five years ago. But I was doing stuff like that because I was like, fuck it. I'm not going to see anyone at work. Like, why do I give a shit? And then I posted that. But now I'm like, like I, I can't no. even handle it. Dude, it, it's a great voice. The, the setup's great. And I, the rhythm's good. And your voice is well above your ukulele skills. And the well, ukulele they, well, skills I, are not terrible. That's another thing. Like I was singing my whole early life, you know, and I was always being told you have to do this, be like, be a singer. And it's like, like, it's one of those things where people tell you, you need to do this thing and you envision this thing. But like, 
I don't ever feel like I'm sad that I don't sing professionally. Like I enjoy, I'm a person that like, I like just living life and I like all the things that I enjoy doing. I don't like my Instagram is an explanation of who I am because I don't really, I would love to make money off of those things, but I just like doing those things. And if I had more money doing them, I'd be just a little more happier, you know? Yeah. So to go back to like the niche thing, right? That's part of what I've like tried to resist and not like I'm in some fucking superpower or anything like that as far as Mm -hmm. podcasting, but it's really cool for me who's never had a business to treat this like I get to make all the fucking decisions and I just get to try shit and I don't have to worry about making money if I can keep it at a hundred bucks. And I think I have hundred bucks a year and I have like three Patreons that I make $9 and I think 53 cents a month, which literally covers the exact cost of hosting the podcast annually. Uh And I'm like, so I'm breaking even. And the only thing I'm really, it's costing me is my time. But at the same time, like it gives me perspectives. I gain knowledge on people. I understand like just how to do shit, the editing parts of it. And it's a little creative outlet, which I think the thing you're talking about, like, when you're doing something that's actually authentic and real, like if you keep going, the consistency will pay off. Like you might not make money now, but you're following something that's true. It would be, you you could make more money doing a niche thing, but it wouldn't be like authentic, you know? So I think if you just keep going, it's going to pay off. Maybe, right? Yeah. It's the seeking the dollars was weird, but at the same time, like what you're saying being, um, like, Oh, I'm really into cooking. So now I have to think of different angles to talk about cooking. Like, that to me would make it seem very worky where I feel like conversation, I'm just naturally, I don't know if it's the teacher in me, the bartender or what, but like, it's very natural to just like want to get to know somebody. It's a very chill way. It's fucking what? Eight 30, nine o'clock at night. Like it's a real cool way to end a night is to talk to a complete stranger (laughs) from somewhere. I think it's like, I've always been really inquisitive. Like uh, you're very inquisitive. I'm just always like, I want to ask questions you know when you're like talking to somebody and like the whole time you're asking them questions and some people just don't have that skill or interest but it's just it's a great thing to have it's like curiosity yeah or is it a reflection of our lack of self-confidence like we don't have enough to share or be interesting so we have to grab control of the conversation i talk to those people i'm thinking in my head like i like i have it's not a self-consciousness thing it's like a clear indication of my conscientiousness versus their like complete self-aware lack of self-awareness, you know? Yeah. I guess I was trying to mock myself a little bit, but I think what you just said is probably closer. Cause it, I've been in like groups where someone walks into a group and it's like, there's zero acknowledgement of the person who just walked in or like a, a quick summary of, Oh my God, Jill. So great to see you. We were just chatting about blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And like, there's none of that shit sometimes it's from a rare thing to find these days. I'm sa- just yeah. saying. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's interesting. I do. I don't know. Now I'm, I guess I'm like overthinking what the fuck I do in like real life groups that aren't just one-on-one conversations. Big groups freak me out, man. I don't know I'm, if it's the same for I you. I agree. I'm an interpersonal communication. Like that is where I'm, I thrive. Yeah. And a lot of people get me mistaken because I think people like my partner always says, like, you seem like you'd be so good in front of a crowd. And then if you put me in front of a crowd, I'd be like blacked out. I wouldn't even know. Like, I can't handle that level. But I also think maybe I've always had like this lack of preparation. 
like just study what you're gonna read like say but when it comes to interpersonal i'm pretty i'm just very comfortable and i think that's to your point about the being the one to ask questions and talk to someone it's just this interest in the human like connection that's greater in some people than others yeah i wonder knowing you for all of maybe 20 minutes at this point sorry i'm a fidgety lady Dude, don't. I'm sitting. I've got a swivel chair for the exact same reason. I just um, go back and forth. Knowing you for like 20 minutes, dude, I wonder, like, comedic wise, because your Instagram's funny as hell. You're creative. And I wonder if you're a little too hard on yourself to get it right the first time. Absolutely. That's 100%. Right? And like, if you just did like 70 open mics and. I keep. I always get that too. I'm like, do you do stand up comedy? And I'm like, no, but now I might, I might want to do it. I don't know. You've got the vibe, the energy and the, you've got the facial expressions. You've <laughs> got the gesticulations. You've got okay. like the content and the perspective, but then you also have like this, again, like if people look at your Instagram or just looking through your Instagram, like you, you're an observer. So mm. you, you know, that means you're a thinker and you've found something in a moment that you feel is worth capturing. Well, that's the best comedy, right? It's people that take scenarios that everyone can relate to and express this the situation that everyone's been in that's absurd. Like, the absurdity of life is just... And being able to, like, elaborate on that in front of people and make them laugh, it's the best thing ever, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's the best thing ever because I've had some really good experiences Netflixing alone on a Friday. But... <laughs> I, that's the second best thing ever. It's it, it's something, dude, the, I, maybe it was the ukulele video where you were like, fuck, I'm going to fuck up the line. But it was one of these things where you were like speaking and setting up. And it's like, and I'm just don't know what to do with my hands. Put in my, my hands. pocket <laughs> like a lesbian would or some shit. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, dude, that's, that's one of the. Not know what to do with our hands. <laughs> we're just like, right now, I'm like, where do I put these things? I got no pockets. It's a weird situation. I guess it's like the lack of penis. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> there was a, so there's a teacher who I'm, I'm sitting there reflecting with another teacher today and in service and um, the, the lesbian teacher walks in and she's got like the dress with pockets mm -hmm. on oh, and yeah. she's rolling in and her hands are so fucking enjoying those pockets. I call that dress the potato sack. It's just like, What's underneath there? We don't know, but it could be anything. <laughs> so she's, she's in her potato sack and she walks in with the biggest fucking smile on her face. And I'm like, found some fun pockets. Did you? Lesbian. And like, it was one of those things where I don't know if that's why, <laughs> like scientifically speaking. I don't know. There's something to it though. I'm going to start looking some studies up. Dude, but like those kind of little quips, like it was just like this quick little like zinger, mm -hmm. zing, right? You're yeah. like, oh, that keeps my interest, right? Yeah. It's like a quick hitter, man. And it seems to come pretty natural to you, the expression, yeah. but yet you want to hide like... behind a camera or an iPhone, huh? What's that? I said, but yet you want to hide behind a camera oh, or an iPhone. I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's not necessarily the sense of hiding. I think I just feel like, Instagram and so social media is so inundated with these people that are just like just showing their faces and just doing things that are just, I'm not, I'm just as much a narcissist as the next person, but I think there's so much more to offer and what a better thing to like provide people your art 
and then have people get to know you after that. Like rather than just like, I think a lot of, a lot of Instagram and what you see is just your, your insecurities on display. It's just how you Mm -hmm. want to display them. And so I'm as insecure as the next person about my looks and all those things, but I, I'm not insecure enough to use that as my, as the door to getting to know me, you know? I just feel like just people present things differently. I really like how you keep dropping the name of the pod, getting to know in there. <laughs> Thank you for that. No problem. <laughs> um, I put a little note down here. How many times have I said it? 12, perfect. I was, yeah. Well, I've only gotten five, so uh, one of us needs to either, up, man. Yeah, one of us needs to take more shots for not <laughs> dropping it enough. Oh, you can do that, not me. Um, yeah, dude, that was something that fucked with me a little bit. I started doing these after pod afterthought things mm-hmm. and I've had like several people tell me early on, maybe like 40, 50 episodes in, they were like, you would look way less like a creeper if you actually put yourself out there more. So people mm-hmm. could kind of like, what else does he do beside podcasts? Like, dude, you're in yeah. fucking jogging, throw a jogging pick. You don't have to like, like thirst trap the shit, but put yourself and show yourself. And I was always reluctant because I felt that same narcissistic vibe yeah. of like, I, I feel like that's, a, I wanted to zag. I, I yeah. feel everyone's posting the fucking selfies and like displaying their good life. And I love, I really like the poetry of like Instagram is for insecurities. Mm. And I like, well, most of it is, yeah. Yeah. That's one. like, you just said it. I love it. Like, but I also feel like for my, and not to cut you off, but like, I've just, dedicated my Instagram to showcasing my art. And I never knew I was so good at photography until I just consistently did it. But like to have like all of your art displayed and then suddenly you throw in like a picture of yourself. It's like just an aesthetic thing for me. It makes, it's like, doesn't make sense as a display, you know? I don't know. Like I do think that even though at first I was like apprehensive about the whole story part of Instagram, I feel like the outside, like my profile is what you get to see about like my artistic sensibility. And then when you go to my story, you get to see what I'm about, you know? Yeah. I'm making it way more deep than it needs to be. But if I'm an Instagram book, the opening page, (laughs) the cover is the profile grid. I was going to say like, and then, or maybe each chapter is its picture. And then somewhere within the chapter, there are really cool pop-ups that are your stories that are like, here's some personality. Mark Zuckerberg, where are you at? <laughs> <laughs> Got a good idea right now. 3D glasses. Oh, he's listening right now with a glass of some sort of organic tea, sipping it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I, did you listen to him on Joe Rogan's podcast? Oh, no. I, I honestly feel like I haven't listened to Joe Rogan in a while. But something just isn't connecting for me. No? But first of all, I'm confident that Mark Zuckerberg is not even a real person. I don't think, I think he's a robot. Like, I just like, it's just weird to me. The more he like has these people on, I'm like, Joe Rogan is so fucking connected. Like this shit's so stupid. He's, it. it's so, he's does such a good job of seeming normal. Mm-hmm. And you forget that he's fucking this $200 million man <laughs> that since the age of like 22 has mm-hmm. just been a straight Hollywood insider. But there's no getting around like Joe Rogan, aside from like him being in MTV, like as I grew up and like always being some, some level of celebrity, like he has a very good method of just listening to, he lit, the best part about a podcast, I need to work on this in all forms of my life, but being able to fully listen to someone as they're speaking and then 
follow that with like just like that he has a great knack for that like there's no way you could get around it he's perfect at it he, but um he yeah questions the level of celebrity though is just he questions in a very non-confrontational yes, way absolutely which is such an art and i find myself just like having to put qualifiers so i don't mean to be an asshole but yeah. you know I do or, that too, yeah. and but it, we live in a world where it's just like almost impossible not to feel like you're going to offend someone even as me as a lesbian i feel like i'm struggling to connect with my group of people because it's so radical you know it's so hard to just connect with people on a level that's not um like political yeah really Absolutely. I just feel like if you were in New York City or in the New York City area and you went out with people my age in like the gay community, it's impossible not to have a full conversa conversation <laughs> conversation without some, you know, political conversation completely blasting one side or the other, which side is pretty obvious, but it's just it's, it's out of control and you feel like you can't even express yourself in a way you can't even lean slightly to a different side anymore mm. without being outcasted or type or whatever, you know, it's just so sad. And that's why I feel like it is difficult. Maybe podcasting is a good way to get around that because it's so hard to have long form conversations with people anymore without that, that fear. It's a real fear too. It's like genuinely there. Fear of, like just for, a fear of having a conversation that you never know if it's going to become confrontational or sort of like fiery. And the, per the reason I say that is because I'm actually by nature, a very passionate person, obviously. And I need to be able to have conversations where I don't allow myself to go to that place. And I do an act like I actively take part in not doing that. But I feel like some people just don't have that ability to stop, you know? don't have the ability to stop their passions from like no, to stop to stop to, like, to take a normal conversation and just make it I, I don't know I don't know yeah so it's something and this is what I wonder and I don't want to put words in your mouth or no, hands, you can. or hands in your pockets but you never do that you were, <laughs> you were taking a drink at that moment I was like I think she might spit up I would if I say this, I was like hoping you would spit up some water. Um, oh my God. No, like, so I feel there's a little bit of a skill with, even if you disagree, mm -hmm. truly trying to understand versus immediately getting pissed off and trying to help the other person understand you. That's exactly what I mean. And it's like, okay, well, let me hear you out. And then let me actually ask questions to consider could I be wrong versus Absolutely. I hold this value. So mm -hmm. you have to be wrong and you need to understand why you're wrong. And every fourth word you say, I'm just going to wait for a minute to jump mm -hmm. like a cat yeah. under a fucking chair and pounce on a chance to make you change or convert you versus yeah. no, nah, man, what do you, what, like just saying, tell me more. And, and I don't think the word upset. tolerate necessarily. Cause I don't think we should have to tolerate one another. Explore. We should just, but explore like instead of yeah, tolerate I mean, explore that's what you're saying is exactly how i feel though i just feel like i'm there's a lot of things that people think can trigger me because i just think i'm part of a community of people who and i'm not saying anyone's right or wrong it's just how i feel i just feel like i've chosen to be comfortable with myself and i don't feel um 
any sense of adversity in my life at this time. I went through a process of coming out as a, a gay woman and that was hard, but it was just always who I was. I never, I don't attach to it as a label for myself to use as it, it's just nothing more than a part of me. That's it. And I just feel like that level of comfort I have in my skin in that regard um, makes it difficult for me to be around people who need to latch on to an identity of theirs as a source of power, you know? If that makes sense. No, yeah, because I think, um, fuck, and I'm going to fuck up the words. It's, um, I just went to a training on this shit too. God damn it, I should have paid more attention. It, it, it's, it's, I don't mean this in a disparaging way, but it's like that victim mentality of mm -hmm. using a label in order to feel you deserve something versus yep. just being like, fuck the label, I want to be merit-based. I'm meritocratic. Yep. Like, am I good at photography? cool, I'm good at photography. Am I gay or straight? I don't know if it mm -hmm. fucking matters. Is the photography good? That's what matters. Absolutely. And there's a sense of, um, and we've all, everyone's been there. I can only say how I feel about this because I know how it feels to feel like you are not being accepted and you feel like you're not um, safe. And it gives you this sense of entitlement in a way to the identity and the entitlement is what causes you to latch onto those traumas and feel like you are, owed something and like the more I grow the more I go through life you realize no one owes you anything you know at least from the sense of my life and my experience in this life is not going to benefit from me feeling entitled all the time I'm just going to be angry and dismissive and not open to listening and it's I think it's becoming like an epidemic right now that sense of entitlement you know that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. So yeah, number one, like fucking summer or the sun gives a fuck about your orientation sexually, <laughs> right? Like you're going to be hot. You're going to be hot. Um, but it is interesting that if people get to positions, if they feel like they have to use some sort of, whether it be race, gender, sexual orientation, whatever, to get somewhere, then they have to hold on to that part of their identity they can't let it go and just become part yep. of the bigger group that they're trying to get acceptance into and the sad thing is labels are a great resource to find community when you're lost or when you need help yeah but there's a certain level to labels that once you've accepted that part of yourself that allowed you to have that label it's a beautiful thing to outgrow it and realize that that label more labels in your life are limiting. The more things you call yourself and the more things you label yourself as just limit you. And that's the opposite of what people in my community, and I don't mean community, I'm just saying being gay was 10 years ago, it might've been difficult to come out. And for someone right now it might be, but there's some level of having that label that will not let you be comfortable with who you are if you keep holding on to it. Hmm. Yeah, what? So I, I don't know if you know this and can you say the summer town that I grew up in? I want to see if I, you actually know the name. Rebohoe. Rebohoe. Is that it? Yeah. I'll call it that from here on out. I'll actually go change the sign. Say it again though. What is it? Rehoboth. Rehoboth. Yeah. So Rehoboth, I didn't realize this as a teenager when I started working down there. I want to say it was 96, 1996. Mm -hmm. um, apparently it's like, literally labeled the gay summer capital of the East really? Coast. Yeah, because... That's what Fire Island was. Well, D.C., Baltimore, Philadelphia, New York, 
And it, I started looking back and there's literally like an entire block Baltimore Avenue where it was gay pride and gay owned businesses mm -hmm. where I guess people could leave like somewhere like Philadelphia where they were scared to hold their partner's hand or maybe scared is the wrong word, but they were worried about the judgment or yeah. the limitations on their jobs or their opportunities that could come from being seen kissing their partner mm -hmm. after whatever fucking, oh, there's ice cream on your nose. Let me lick it type shit. Yeah. And you come to Rehoboth and you're just like, I don't know, are you a decent person? Cool. Then hold hands with whoever. And it was one of those things with me in my formative years, like 15, 16, you grow up and you have these like, all, all this like machismo towards homosexuality. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you work with somebody and like three years later, you're like, wait, they're you're, human. You're gay? Dude, I had yeah. no idea you were gay. And it was uh -huh. like, but we're cool. You can't be gay. I, I can't hang out with gay guys. And all of a sudden it's like, no way you can because he's just Jeff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he's not gay Jeff. He's not straight Jeff. He's just Jeff. And, and it was and it was wonderful, man. And it was something that I'm so appreciative growing up around because it gives you this insight of like, wait, you have kids? Mm -hmm. you, you love children, but not in a sick way, like in a <laughs> regular way? What the fuck? I've been lied to. Yeah. You know, and it's like one of those things where I've not considered though, if they, if you have to hold on to the homosexuality or whatever label to like fight for positioning that yeah. you're almost holding on to the trauma well, or the negativity. I don't want to um, dismiss or disregard the years and decades of hard work that people yeah. did to allow me this sense of freedom. Cause yeah. that's absolutely something I was not even participating in, but when I say that label thing, I, I feel like when you're around other people, and I think right now we live in a world of like battling for the best in this dip, most different identity because we're running out of them, I guess. <laughs> but it's like when you're surrounding yourself with people that are latching onto an identity, it's really more than anything this, this um, attempt, I think, to find a purpose because a lot of us have no purpose. And like, I'll give an example. I quit drinking and I had a bad issue with drinking. And the reason I quit drinking and I stopped for good is because I remembered the person I was before I quit drinking. Mm. And that person had no labels attached to them. It was just like, you know, when your own best friend, that sort of thing. I was my own best friend and I knew that I could get that back. Some people don't have that. So I'm not trying, like, and I'm not saying it in a mean way. Some people just don't allow themselves the chance or maybe had a difficult childhood or had situations where they didn't have a good connection with themselves. But, and that's a really difficult road to go down, I think. But when you know who you are before the, the awareness of a label of gay or whatever, and it's just, those are the things that you can, it's a, it's a freedom when you could allow yourself to just be that person, the inside you, you know? Is it, and as a white middle-class male, it's kind of stupid to think about, but like it's election season and we have a black guy who's a Republican mm -hmm. and it's like, well, you can't be black and be a Republican type yeah. thing. And it's one of those outliers. And I'm just wondering, like, are there certain aspects that you're feeling is guilty, the wrong word, or questioning? Like, should I feel this way? Should I hold this view if I'm also going to be a lesbian? Um, well, so you mean regarding the black Republican or? No, <laughs> no, definitely not. But like, that's my example. Cause I, I've like- Well, I was gonna say that when I'm saying this, I'm saying it from my own entitled place where I've never been a black person. And that's, for me, I remember 
understanding my gayness, I remember being like, I don't have to wear my gayness on my skin. I don't have to walk around with anyone knowing I'm gay. And so I, ha I can, cannot complain about my situation compared to a black person who has no choice but to wear that on their skin and wear their, you know, who they are and be told negative things and be placed in this situation. I am like, I can't complain, you know? So yeah. I'm not even trying to, like, I don't want to for a second make it seem like everyone has the luxury of just having no identity. Some people are forced into their identities. But even then, there's this power that comes with just accepting that it's just there and just, you know, moving on from it and not giving people, giving away your power, you know? See, I was looking at it more like when you get into a tribe or a group, there are certain norms or standards. Mm -hmm. And if you differ from those standards, that's when you tend to not be a part of that tribe or group anymore. Mm -hmm. And it, the reason, again, the black Republican is like, you think of Republicans, you think of dudes like me. You don't mm -hmm. typically think of African-Americans. So I was wondering about you with like not feeling, uh, again, not to put words in your mouth, but just feeling maybe not accepted in the community. I'm, I'm wondering like what parts of you, what parts of you are like outside of the norms, of the cultural norms? I think there's a sense of just feeling like I'm not, I'm not going to participate in conversations that take my gayness and politicize it and, and, you know, shun other people and talk, talk down to people. For instance, if I was in, I'm just telling you, for example, there are groups of people you can hang out with and they're anti white man and they're anti, you know, all the Republican stuff. And they, cr you give so much power to these entities and these ideas and they're simply ideas. And we're just, you know, we're almost bowing down to them every day and just like obsessing over these things. And I, yes, I do feel like I'm, I'm not accepted by a lot of people. And I also feel like I don't put myself out there to have these, like, I don't have these conversations with people because the fear of being outcasted is too high. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it answers your question, but it's, it's just a difficult time to make genuine friends and have genuine connections. And is it mostly political then like the polarizing oh, Republican Democrat Trump just fucked everybody's ability to like, like think out loud. I was, yeah. I feel like that whole time where Trump was in office, like when he got out, it was just like, Oh my God, like I can't take another second of people just talking. Like I'm not even pro or, or against. I just like another second of this conversation is just like, <laughs> you are just, it's your religion is to watch CNN and watch New York, like read the New York times. And it's, you don't have, yourself anymore you're lost and they, that's like you're basically what they've done is they've allowed you to obsess over something so much that it's taken your power away from yourself mm. and i don't i don't want to live my whole life you know worrying about i want to make changes that are great for human like humanity but i think maybe at a start we could have a conversation that's filled with empathy that's a good start you know like have that uh, be the catalyst. Yeah, I try to start from there, like the understanding. Yeah. And I guess that's what we had started with too. Like if you're going to talk about something, not trying to cut you off four seconds in, but trying to understand. And it's funny, man. You'd be like, well, why do you hate Trump? 
And they'll be like, well, he was such an asshole. And I'm like, well, what made him an asshole? The way he tweeted. And you're like, well, what tweets did you disagree with? And it was like, well, it was the tone of all of his tweets. And it's like, okay, so if he's an asshole tweeter, was he terrible as a president? And then like, you just start trying to get into some depth. And for the majority of people that I talk to, and I'm not super good at depth, but it's like, when I try to take a hard stance, I really do try to have information yeah, <laughs> and like real specifics about, hey, uh, politically, especially, this policy really pissed me off for blank. Mm-hmm. And it's terrible to me because of blank and blank. Now, if you can tell me why I'm wrong about that, I'm completely open. Like, so for instance, Joe Biden's student loan forgiveness mm-hmm. really fucking irks me I, because it only goes to federal loans which right away I'm like, so the government that sets the federal loan rate is mm-hmm. going to give themselves $10,000 of my tax money mm-hmm. because a bunch of people probably weren't paying their loans. Mm-hmm. Why don't they just stop charging interest? Yeah, that's that's a point. And I'm like, I that's the fucking, it's a straight grab. To me, I'm like, this dude is clearly trying to grab votes a month mm-hmm. and a half out for his primaries and his generals. I'm like, that's bullshit, 10 grand? Yes, Mm -hmm. it's kinda nice. Fucking stop, you're you're in charge of interest. Interest is the killer, stop fucking interest, man. What are you talking about, 10 grand, and you're gonna repay the government? That makes Mm -hmm. no sense. But like, I'm not saying I'm completely right, but, and I'd be willing to listen to like, help me understand, economist, why that was a good choice. Yeah. But- Well, I think the problem, though, I don't wanna cut you off, but I think there's also that conversation. I also can't, once I even see it start, like the conversation being started, it's like, there's so many perspectives on student loan forgiveness. Of course, there's that angle, which has merit. There's the angle of your tax dollars being put to work for that cause. And I get that. But it's also like a lot of old people, I guess people call them boomers or whatever. I don't really care. But saying that like a lot of older people don't have a clue. And I'm not saying, what was me? But no one has a clue what it's like to live in the generation that was offered a crippling amount of options and given this bullshit idea that getting a college degree would lead to something. I grew up in a household, for instance, where my stepfather made a certain level of income that didn't allow me, even though my mom took care of me in that regard, didn't allow me to have any access to any economic help for college. And so I was in a position to have to take out loans. Meanwhile, I'm in a position at 18 years old where I don't know what the fuck I want to do. I'm just getting a degree to appease, you know, society. And so you're in this position where you're doing something for the simple, and there's nothing, there's well, no wrong. Well, because you're told right. schools are encouraged. But I, the issue in America is that we don't have a single ounce of financial education. My mother grew up poor. My grandparents were, my mom was one of 11. I have a huge family. So there's no financial understanding of what to do. And then, yes, did people make mistakes? Absolutely. Do people deserve to not be imprisoned by these horrendous loans? Absolutely. But you're never going to make everyone happy, you know? I don't know. Yeah, dude, it's really fucking weird that you can't rent a car until you're 25. Yeah. But, like, and now the drinking age is 21. Cigarettes is 21. Now... I guess the counter is like, well, you can join the military at 18. It's like, well, aren't we sure we're kind of duping our young people in? And by the way, I've had um, Stop Soldier Suicide on the podcast and talks about the horrific 
PTSD and suicide rates of army vets who didn't even experience combat, just oh God, basically even. went to the military as a way to jump socioeconomic class, like to upscale their economic class. <laughs> This bad the government. <laughs> yeah, and then they come back and they're like out of this organization and structure of the military and they don't have any coping skills and they fucking take they their own lives. Yeah, it, it's horrible. And you're like, so we're going to leave the military age at 18, but we're going to acknowledge that at 18, you can't make a cognitive decision to take on debt. Mm -hmm. However, at 18, you can make a cognitive decision to risk your life. It's, it's to like fight. The, the it, thing about that is like the more... I am one of those people that can go down rabbit holes and I enjoy it. There's a space in that dark hole where you feel like really safe in the sense that I remember there was a period of COVID where I was going down those rabbit holes a lot. And there's like this comfort because you're sort of, you're kind of telling yourself that the future is doomed. And so you don't have to try. There's like this anarch, like, an, uh, I think it's word? nihilism. Nihilism. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's this sense of like, why should I give a fuck when this is a world we live in? And then I realized, like, why would I let myself dwell in that rabbit hole when it's, you know, it's just so addictive. And you can't do anything about it. That's the terrible thing. Yeah. You're just fucking mm -hmm. treading water without an oar or rudder being mm -hmm. able to steer the direction or even, like, catch a wave to ride it to shore. Yeah. But the, the student loan thing, I... I don't like the idea of forgiveness and it's not because of, it's not because I'm upset that like my tax dollars are going mm. towards helping people. I don't like the idea of forgiveness because I'm like, there are cheaper alternatives mm -hmm. and maybe it's a bias of mine. And you can tell me about your college experience. Cause I'd be curious. So I joined the national guard to get to college, but I also went to a community <laughs> college because mm -hmm. it was super affordable. And I'm yeah. like, Nobody fucking tells anyone, I don't think, that you got to go to a $40,000 a year school, man. There are so many alternatives everywhere. And I feel like it's kind of like, oh, I've been lied to with this student loan and I made this choice. And it's like, yeah, but you kind of chose to lease a Mercedes instead of getting a Kia. Like everybody yeah. needs a car. Okay, everybody needs a college degree. You don't have to fucking go with a Bentley or a Range Rover. You could have got a Honda. And well, that's... I think that's, there's truth to that, but it's also some people at the age of 18 don't have any concept of that sort of stuff. I didn't even go to a nice college and I have, I mean, I have like $20,000 left of student debt. I'm not worried about it. It's not something that keeps me up at night. I hear about these people with like $100,000 of debt and it's like, I don't even know how that happened. I actually did go to community college for two years first. Right. I was a terrible student in high school though. Like I didn't give a shit about school. I just like wanted to fall in love and that was all I cared about. Like I just was not a focused academic student. But then when I went to college, I did, I love the whole uh, lecture thing, but I'm not a victim of necessarily like aiming for Harvard and spending money that I didn't have. I just had situations in my life. It's a lot about the dynamic of the house you grow up in too. I, I had a stepfather that never necessarily helped me financially, but a mother that was kind of, the source of my money for certain periods of time that wasn't able to provide for me. And so I had like, I was one of the people I, I won in high school, the car most least likely to make it out of the parking lot. <laughs> that like, was superlative. So like I was in the yearbook next to my car and crashed. I don't think, no, I had that car. And then I had another car that I crashed, but I had to like take out a loan for the third car. And like, 
I don't know why I did that. That wasn't a decision that I like consciously made thinking this is a really financially sound like decision, but like there, and then I went to uh, William Patterson in New Jersey and I finished my degree, but there were just a lot of steps to that debt. And I'm not, I'm not sitting here blaming the world for my debt. I'm also not in piles of debt. I'm in enough debt to be concerned, but I'm not, I know I'll pay it off, you know, but, um, I think. I don't know. I didn't mean to like cut you off. I don't know if I did, but I think there's just too many, <laughs> you there's too many variables to people's debt for it to be so like, yes, you know, no, it's individualized. And that's what I'm saying. Like your story is the perfect story of someone who should have, who should have like, there should have been some sort of counselor whose caseload yeah. did not overwhelm them to the point of they could spend a half hour with you bi-weekly your junior to senior year to help you figure out ramifications and future plannings. So then why isn't that a class in high school? Why isn't loan payments, no a whole class on interest, no doubt. a class on a literal class, like you have to learn how to drive a car. They spend a lot of time on that, but nobody tells any kid before they graduate high school, unless I'm not going to the right school. It how wasn't to. in mine. Yeah. It's just like, so, of course, there are people that make the wrong financial decisions, but then we're not in a country. I'm not saying anti-America at all. I'm just saying the country is not even setting the students up for. Nah, man, that's the conspiracy. So that's the conspiracy, it's right? Because thing. it's like you're infiltrating us with drugs and then wondering why we're addicts. Yes. You know? No. Yeah. It's yeah. It's exactly right. Like, okay, you're going to prescribe me Percocets like a motherfucker and then worry about the opioid addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're more. It's more the worry of like getting you to algebra two and understanding costs and sin mm-hmm. and some parallelogram. Dollar. Um, what was it like the registration forms for these colleges? I couldn't even afford to register for college because it was like seventy fucking dollars. Like for yeah. real, like I could not. So yeah. I'm not from a place of knowing. Like I'm not like mom. I want to go to this school. I knew I wasn't getting what I wanted. <laughs> like. Yeah. No, dude, you're absolutely right about that flaw in the educational system where it's like you almost want to have like a prerequisite of do you plan to go to college? You must take this college financial literacy course your junior year before you apply to any colleges. And it's Mm -hmm. a mathematical elective or it's a fucking pathway. But instead of you doing algebra two and worrying about a TS385 mm-hmm. graphing calculator. I want you to understand what debt to income ratios are and what compound interest means and what not paying on a principal, how interest accrues. And mm-hmm. that should be the curriculum. And, and don't you think it's just an interesting thing that it's not available? I feel like that's what I'm saying, not, dude. Don't. So I'm not, what, a, I'm not trying to be conspiracy theorist. Dude, no, it totally is. So this, this sent me off a fucking rail. Um, I took out student loans. So I found out I was getting my doctorate degree. Really? Yeah. I'm a doc. By the way, I'm a doctor. Really? Fuck yeah, What do you have your PhD in? Not a PhD. EDD. So huge difference. EDD. It's a less than, I don't typically like speak on it because all I did was fucking summarize and make a little report. So I wrote like a 120 page paper and I get to be a doctor. Okay. Um, so PhDs add to a field of studies, EDDs analyze a field of study. So I just analyze like at-risk factors for student athletes and does in-season sports participation help discipline grades and attendance. So mm-hmm. like if you play a sport, are your grades better? Do you come to school more and do you get written up less? 
They're and like a data nerd. Basically. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Where so, did you go to college? Will Mew. It was real cheap. It was okay. um, a cohort. But here's my point. So I was, I'm, I think I have a year left on my doctorate. So I owe like, and I don't owe any money because I work in the summers and I'm waiting tables, I'm bartending and I'm a teacher at this point and I'm able to pay it off as I go. Mm-hmm. So I find out there's this student loan forgiveness for teachers at the school I work at where I can get $17,000 of my student loans forgiven because I'm a special education teacher. I have no student loans. So my so final- it's a public service? Is that what that is? Basically, it's almost like Greenpeace type shit where if you work in like a poorer school, I think it's title, not title nine, title three. Oh. Basically, if a certain percent of your students in the school, a certain percent of the population- population qualifies for free and reduced lunch. Mm-hmm. You're in an impoverished school. Therefore you can get student loan forgiveness as like you're helping those wow. who are less fortunate. Hey, that's great to know. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Right. So if you, you do five years, you get 17, five, that's what it was. So mm-hmm. I had no student debt and I had $6,000 left to pay. I knew I had one year it was going to be $6,000. Mm-hmm. I fucking applied for like a Pell Grant. And I uh-huh. took out 21000 I qualified for $21,000. They fucking cut me a check for $21,000. I paid off my six grand. Mm. I kept the difference. What's that? 1600 mm-hmm. I knew I was going to get seventeen forgiven. So basically I was like, okay, then I'll just save the difference, which was about four grand. Pay mm-hmm. that off. Wait on the seventeen. I made like 11 grand tax-free. Wow. Here's the fucked up part. Do you know those interest rates are set by Congress? Jesus. You're elected. What, by you're, the way. What? What is it, like 9% or something? It, for me, it was 5.65%. It was more than my mortgage and my car loans because I had such good credit. But what about credit fucking rates? Like, what is that about? What's that another conversation? Yeah, but credit no, dude, cards. here's my point. If you have really good credit, like I did, I had a score almost in the 800s for credit. Mm-hmm. I had the same student loan interest rate as someone who had shit credit, which is horrible. And by the way, if you're in Congress, why are you setting rates at a profit driven margin? Why are you not setting rates so low that you're encouraging lower class people to jump an economic class, get to middle class by educating themselves at affordable rates? It's bullshit. And that leads to the conspiracy of why are high schools and middle schools so into tracking student achievement and forcing kids to go to college. Why do we track student achievement through SAT scores that make Mm. you think of going to college? Because federal funding is tied to it. And then as you go to college, you borrow federal funds, which are set by the government in order to fucking make you in debt. And it's like, you start putting these things together and you sound like the conspiracy theorist, but- indentured servant. (laughs) It's total indentured servitude. And it's like, now I don't even want to take a risk to start a business because I have all this debt. So I can't Mm -hmm. borrow money to make my own business because my debt to income ratio is all fucked up already. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a very, it's something that you're right. And when I think of it like that, I'm like, fuck yeah, forgive the loans. Like, because you're almost set up from the early age of like 10 of go to college. And it's like, nah, man, be a plumber. It'd be great if you were a fucking plumber. Be- I wish someone told me if honestly, I got my degree 
and communications because I actually wanted to go into nutrition and dietitian or something, which I'm glad that I didn't. But my mom was like, and not to say anything about my mom, but my mom thought that maybe it would be more uh, useful for me to go into something with a broader scope of uh, like possibilities. So I took that advice and I went into communications. I don't regret it, but I wouldn't say it led me to uh, like a very specific uh, group of jobs I could have. Yeah. So I worked some basic data sort of research level jobs in New York City. And um, what was the point of what I was going to say? Oh, um, student loan college once, degrees. So I have not once been asked to have someone look at my resume or uh, my diploma. Not once. I could have told everyone I went to fucking Harvard and never wasted that money on just figuring out who I was. I wasn't in the place to even do that. So like, there's just so many, now it's kind of like we're going full circle in this world where it's like, or at least in this country where there was like 10 years ago or 20 years ago, it was like, go to college. You have to go to college. And now it's more like, just follow whatever you want to do and be like a hustler and get your shit together, make some money. Well, it's based on competency. So to bring it back to the Mm -hmm. goat and the, um, the goat of podcasting, Joe Rogan, he had the uh, CEO of Substack on. Mm-hmm. And this was super interesting to me. So corporations and like Silicon Valley are giving standardized test screeners to college graduates because college degrees have become so watered down with people just passing wow. despite their competence mm. that if I have a degree from Harvard, it does not mean that I know how to code, law, yeah. medicine, mm-hmm. whatever my field is. It's like... Companies can no longer even trust a college degree because they are tied to graduation rates and their federal funding is about making sure you get through. And you're like, dude, fucking corporations are now having to give entrance exams. That shit should have been settled in fucking 11th grade. Uh, Yeah. Well, yes, that's absurd. And it just shows you that it's all like a lie and even just like the interview process, I don't know if you've done a lot of interviews for jobs, but it's just like, I have no time for that bullshit of like pretending I'm something I'm not in an interview. And then we'll meet with you next time to talk about this with the CEO. And then instead of just fucking hiring me and training me, because in life, the best way to learn is just through pro- like the process of uh, observing and doing. Yeah. Let me make you take this test. Prove to me that you could do the job that you have never done before. And then maybe I'll hire you. And then four weeks later, you've wasted all this time. And you're like, everything is just like a joke. There's so much like fluff, you know, like it's just keeping up this image for everyone. And it's just like even the job, like I wanted to write a book and I probably should or do the whole comedy skit. I'm just working in an office and office culture for someone like me, who's like an analytical observer and like, needs to find humor in things because if not, I'll just live in tragedy my whole life. But it's just like the people in office jobs, like are just mind numbing. Sometimes it's just unbelievable how many people will just like sit in that desk chair for 20 fucking years and just go. And then that's actually the funny part. I would work at, I worked at this office and one of the people was like way older than everyone else in the group. I don't want to be rude or make fun of anyone, but it was more of And it's just like, we're sitting at a desk for eight hours a day doing work that has no relation to who you are and like how you feel about life. You're just getting paid. And then randomly throughout the day, there'd be interspersed with like, oh, Trump did this. Like you are sitting at your desk doing absolutely nothing for the world, offering us nothing. And you're going to complain. It's like, 
it's like entertainment, you know? It's so sick. I'm so curious about you as an interviewee because you're so fucking quirky. Like I'm thinking of myself as a boss and if this were an interview, I would love to have you around the office, but I would have fears of like your focus on stupid shit that just needs to get done. And I'm yeah. really curious about you in an office job because I see you as too charismatic to be in a cubicle. Uh, that's funny. I am charismatic. I definitely am. But I am like very much like if I'm at an office, which I was working, I don't necessarily want to go. I, I find I have an interesting perspective. I've worked at <laughs> many office jobs and I've seen people and maybe this is my own fear and my perspective on work because my experiences haven't been great. But there's certain people that you meet in an office and one of those people is the pe person that gets to an office job and decorates the whole cubicle and like essentially I see someone that's made themselves at home and like to me it's a sign that you have no desire and this is my own ob observation it's not right you don't desire to move on after this job you are just mm. settling and an office job to me is just this sense of settling for something that you know isn't good enough and that's how I feel about office jobs. Am I competent and very good at my job? I'm the sort of person in an office job where I will excel for six months, do really well, move, like I'll get a promotion to the next place, but I just get bored quickly because you get that uh, praise for your job well done. And then you realize like, that's all I got. Like, I want to be an artist, <laughs> you know, like I always said the job I worked at, it was like one floor was um, the data people like me. And the other floor was uh, the salespeople and we were the artists and they were the con artists. It's like, it's just, um, I just find office jobs to be really enlightening because I think everyone should just work at one because it really is like a cartoon skit. It's like, to me, I do think I, I work a lot, but I do think that a boss might find me to be a little too out there, you know, sometimes. It's almost like they don't want you to be curious. And that's why I hate office jobs. Yeah, I always wondered because you curiosity is extremely intellectual. And if you <laughs> harness it much like water, <laughs> right? Like if you dig the right channels and focus mm -hmm. it the right way, you're building fucking dams, hydroelectric, like mm -hmm. that shit can be very powerful. But mm -hmm. it can also be intimidating, I feel, for people who are worried about maybe like positions and I mm. wonder how much is, is she going for my job? Am I safe ah. in this position? Will she be better? Why does she want to know how something works? What she always asking questions for? Like, and then they're insecure because they don't know if they can move up and maybe they're feeling they're going to be replaced. And then it's like, they've settled in their spot and you're invading. You're, you're crossing the ever, border. I yeah, I don't know if I've ever given anyone the indication of like taking over a job. If anything, I've let myself settle for levels at jobs that were below my ability because I just always had this feeling of being afraid of committing to a job like that because it's that, that sense of like, I remember before COVID, it was like, it was like, pre, it was destiny. I was sitting in my desk and I was thinking like, if you took away, this is so ridiculous because it's, it's, I'm, I'm very philosophical sometimes, but you sit it. in your desk and if you took away the frame of this building, I'm literally just sitting here in air typing and it just like, I'm so the idea of just doing a meaningless job for the rest of my life. I'd rather, I could, I couldn't do it. I'd rather not make any money 
than just simply do a job to make a good paycheck and then go home, get to work in the dark, take the train home in the dark and not see life. Like to me, that was just so crippling. And I think I've learned that that perspective is, is not healthy for me because I should be able to enjoy work. You know, just because you do a basic level job doesn't mean it's not something you should be proud of. But I think I just have this relationship with work. That's always been very, mm, I don't know. It's just an interesting one. It seems like you want it to be meaningful. Everything. Yeah. Everything needs to be. And so that stopped you from taking higher level, I'll just call it like management versus like data entry type jobs? Not necessarily. Well, I would get into jobs that were kind of like research based, not necessarily daunting and difficult, but I went to school and I didn't really like pick a specific major. I was a communications major. So I would have opportunities to like go into other fields of work in that same company. But I didn't, I never had like a pinpoint. I was never really excellent at data. I'm not necessarily good with numbers, but I'm great with research. So I just never felt like I knew what my niche was in a a company. I would start at a company, do that job, but it wasn't what I was meant to do. Like if I were to say what I would like to do at a job, I would be like, a copywriter because that would allow me to come up with interesting like slogans and things like that that's more of something that sounds like my job but the lack you know when you just feel like you haven't created that portfolio and you've committed to another job you don't have access to it if that makes sense it doesn't for me but i follow the logic because mm-hmm. i haven't experienced corporate world at all i was a, lucky you know well i was a restaurant guy and then i got into teaching and You'd like, be good at it though. You'd be a good salesman. <laughs> and I don't mean that as a negative. <laughs> no, yeah. I, well, I feel like that's what restaurants teach you because mm-hmm. it's whatever you got $38. You're always trying to up your check average, right? So yeah. it's like you figure out what people want from an experience and you try to cater to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, But I don't know. No, I'm mm. curious because um, are you actually? I didn't even ask this. Are you? Do you live in like New York City right now? I live in Montclair. Oh, sorry. Um, it's like a suburb right out of uh, New York, and I moved. My sister moved here when I like ten years ago. Actually, it'll be ten years I lived here. But I was born here, and then moved to a few different towns growing up because my mother remarried. My mother. What the hell? My mother remarried. <laughs> <laughs> my mom got remarried, and so I moved around a few times, and I got came back to Montclair because it's always like it's a very cool town it's got like sort of a city vibe but also a a suburban vibe and I was commuting into the city for like five years on and off but I had these weird situations where God not God not real God but like fate gave me this twice I worked for one company it was like I was 22 and it was like data entry it was like mind numbing and I went through like this when I was 22 I went through this like bad breakup and I was just like in that situation where you're at a desk all day, just like you want to die. Yeah. And so like, I like started drinking bad and then that became my own little thing. But I worked in the city and I would commute in and out on the train. And then in April, on April Fool's Day, I was hired for that job. And on April Fool's Day, the, the company folded and they let like everyone go. And I remember walking outside of the office that day, crying tears of joy, like, thank you God for this. <laughs> like I could not believe that I was let go from this and given a package and like could finally live. Like it was, I couldn't imagine doing that job for another day. 
Yeah. So you actually got like a severance package that you see. I mean, for what I was making, it was a severance package. I wouldn't say it was like um, amazing, but it wasn't like I was getting fired. I was being let go with other people. I was going to get paid um, a little bit of money and then uh, unemployment. So it was just like for me, I needed to get out of that situation because my whole mental state was not right. I just went through a weird situation in my life. And then so I took off for two years. And then I went back to working in the city after that. But I don't know. I have a weird relationship with the city. I love it. I love New York City. But I also, I don't need it the way I felt like I did before. Um, This is just very stupid, but I love numbers. Um, What's the commute like when you say train? So how long does it take you to get to the city? So the truth is it should take like 30 to 35 minutes. New Jersey transit sucks. And so that was also part of the reason I couldn't do it anymore. It's like. I would get up at 6.30, get on the train at 7.15, 7.30. It would, I would get to work. So I was in the situation where the train, I'd either get there really early for work or I'd be just like late. And so I would have to get there early because I don't like to be late for things. And um, it was like a 40-minute ride, but New Jersey Transit, like you probably hear in the news. I was actually interviewed by like several different um, news outlets that were like, oh, we saw you posting on Instagram. Tell, like, tell us about your ride home but it was just like it's it's just like a, t- a terrible um commute now but it shouldn't be long it's right out like i could see new york city basically uh, okay. not like hoboken though if you know that area i don't i feel like hoboken was in um some movie where um the white dude with red hair that is in all the black movies gets shot because he's a cop copland I've never heard of that in my Sylvester life. Sylvester Stallone. Um, mm. I want to say Harvey Keitel. No, no, I don't know that. Do you know Jersey City? Like, it's just basically across, Hoboken's across the river. It's like if you were in Brooklyn, but you're in Jersey. Gotcha. But um, I live like a little bit further out, but Montclair is like a really cool town. Gotcha. So what'd you do in the two years when you got let go? When you said you took two years off? Europe? Yes. So, no, I wish. I didn't have that sort of money. I actually was paying off my student loans when I could do that. But um, I wasn't making a lot of money. Like, people think that when you get a job in New York City that you're rolling in the fucking money. And, like, I'm, like, 23 years old. I was making maybe $40,000 a year maximum. Like, I was doing, like, for my age, that was perfectly fine. But it was, like, not much money at all. But so my I grew up in a really big family that actually is, like, rooted in Montclair and my grandmother what, had 11 children, and she started a nursery school when she was like 50 years ago. Some, she needed a way to make money to pay for all of her kids. <laughs> and so basically, she was like a pioneer of her time, though. So she started this school, and um, it's been running for 50 years. And I didn't really even consider it until I, I would visit my grandmother when she was still alive. And it was an opportunity for me to work in that office. So I was doing a lot of administrative work at that school. And it was like right down the road. I'm actually working out there now again. It's full, cir- <laughs> full circle. But I went in and I felt like this was an opportunity for me to be closer to home, to get my, my mental um, health better. And it was um, two years there. And then I just didn't want to, after two years, I really just didn't want to feel like I wasn't going to try again. And then I, so right before I left that school, that school, I was, I was really struggling with my drinking. I had a really bad binge drinking problem. And I had quit drinking before I started. After two years, I worked at Montclair, the school. Then I started working in New York City. But before that, I stopped drinking for like 45 days. And then I went to this new job. 
thinking like this is a new me everything's like i'm like on a new level this is a new chapter and they have something called whiskey fridays oh. and so yeah so whiskey fridays i'm like no one knows me nobody knows my drinking i could do this like healthy you know and so i drank and luckily i just went home after that but it started this like bender that i'm like a, the last bender i've ever had and so it was this, this last weekend of me drinking and that was the last time i ever had a sip of alcohol and then i had this two years where i worked at that school i mean the in new york and it was like i met the person i married like my whole life changed so Aww. i'm very grateful for that <laughs> Um, can we relive your bender for a little bit? Because I am um, so interested. And just personally, my last name's O'Grady. And I don't mm -hmm. know if I'm genetically predisposed to just want to drink all the mm -hmm. time. Being a teacher, I've literally questioned, is being a teacher and having summers off good? <laughs> yeah, for me and drinking. Because what happens is I'll fucking start... I'm in this, the stop soldier suicide, like I was telling you, they have a hundred mile challenge. Like I work out, I wake up and I like work out for an hour and I go for a fucking jog and I go try to like go for a bike ride. And I'm like constantly, if I'm not doing shit with my daughter, I'm like mm. looking for things to stop me from mm. just having a fucking beer and having well, lunch because because like, it. why not? Right. Like go golf and have some beers. Like, and then it's fucking two o'clock and you're like, did I need six Miller lights on the par three, dude? Like, do, oh do you God. need, like when you drink, are you like losing your, like, are you a sloppy drunk or are you just doing it in a way that's manageable? I don't like, I don't even want to be the functional alcoholic. I just get worried. Mm -hmm. Everything I read about alcohol, like it's worse for you than pot. And yeah, well, yeah. I, like, I don't know well, if it's the thing about me is I was not a functioning alcoholic for oh. years. Maybe I couldn't like, I just wasn't the kind of person that could drink and be a productive person. So I had to make a choice, but gotcha. my drinking was way more like binging, but I did, there were days where I drank during the day and like, like I was a terrible drinker. I, it would, my fear was like, I'm going to die if I don't quit drinking. Like I was, but I was probably wrong about that, but I felt like. I couldn't stop. Once I started, I just couldn't stop. I was filling this emptiness inside of me. And it was, I, it's hard to even think about that person anymore. It's weird. It's like, I don't even like, you know, when people say, oh, people are always like, do you miss drinking? I'm like, no, like not for a second. I don't ever miss it. Do I like yearn for outlets for sure? But it's just not something I am desiring for. So for you, your relationship with alcohol is probably way different than me. If it was like something yeah. you couldn't manage, you'd probably stop. You'd probably have stopped drinking a long time ago. But if you're seeking things out to keep you from doing that, you might just be more prone to boredom than you realize. <laughs> I think that's, I, I like that doc. I like that diagnosis prone to boredom. Um, I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, no, it, it might be right. Like, honestly, like it's. I am. The thing that fucks with me is I've attached drinking to basic shit. Like ending the night with a drink is mm. a thing for me. And yeah. anybody who knows habits after you do it for so long, you have to supplement it in some way to replace it. Like it's weird to just watch a show and not have a drink for me. Well, that's like if I'm trying to lose weight and I can't imagine not having a snack while I eat, like... Can I have snack no snacks wallet. around while I eat? I mean, and this is coming from someone who has a had a drinking problem. Like, so I totally get where you're coming from. But like, 
I think a lot of drinking and a lot of things we have issues with is we, you've identified with some part of it is you. Like you can't imagine your life without that thing. Yeah. And for me, it was like an emotional crutch. It was like my best friend. It was like a cigarette. You know, you could smoke and yeah. talk. No, it, it won't talk back to you. You just want something that's with you and gives you what you want. Mm -hmm. But you could absolutely unidentify with those parts of yourself that like, uh, I golf, drinking and golf. I do this, blah, blah, blah. Like that's sort of like... Um, your what's the word enabling those things or drinking by connecting them with that yeah it's become associated with me um yeah. so if i ask you about your drinking days and how you overcame them is that like some sort of trigger do i need to feel no. terrible if anything i would like to talk about it if we have enough time like i can't believe how long we're talking dude it's only been an hour 14 see you've not looked at other podcasts man i saw one that was two hours i'm like i hope i make that cut i hope i'm that cool Dude, so that just as a stupid side before we get into drinking, that's something that's been really funny to me is meeting people and then being like, I hope I'm good enough to be a three hour guest. And you're like, there's no fucking preordained, man. Like sometimes babies are crying. Sometimes it's like, fuck, got to yeah. go to work. Right. Like it's someone's pretending. Like, so <laughs> <laughs> oh shit my kid just called no um but no that's funny that like the metrics there but yeah typically man i i have the time i i always yeah. i always set aside the time i'm pretty good with sleep especially if like there are no students coming in and i just have meetings all day i'm like why the fuck not be a little groggy if i get a good conversation um so yeah, let's go to the Whiskey Friday thing since you had brought that up. And if you don't mind, like actually maybe a little bit of what went into the days before not drinking and then uh, yeah. getting back so into it. So not triggering at all. Like I'm not triggered by alcohol. It was just, I. so what happened was before that, I'll go through the whole thing Yeah. as best as I can. So I always like, even when I was younger, I remember like when I drank, knowing like as i was doing it that like oh this is probably going to be a problem this is this is medicating some level of anxiety that i probably didn't know i had before it also would provide me with the ability to sleep like nothing else could i always had an issue with falling asleep yeah. and i guess it was becoming a crutch in that regard but and when you create something like that to be a crutch for sleep you're creating a vicious cycle because you need it every night and then you start needing it at other times because you need it like heal that feeling but um, like over a decade of just partying with friends, it just started to become not fun anymore. It was not like I was no longer just drinking with everyone. I was drinking more than everyone. And I went through a really and I don't like to talk about it as if it's present. But these are the way things this is the way things went. I went through a really bad breakup in my early 20s. And that breakup not only led to a breakup of a partner, but it led to my whole group of friends being it just changed everything in my whole life in that way. It was a, like a mutual friend and I sort of like lost a lot of people in my life and was very paranoid about being around people because it would lead me to hearing things. It was just a really weird place that I was in. And it was like also a place of really being happy to not be in a relationship like that anymore, but it was attached to so many other things. But I started using, I think I was in a really toxic relationship and replaced that relationship with alcohol. With more and so my new, Yeah, the new toxic best friend. And so I was just becoming, um, I was always kind of avoiding going out and trying to, I'm, I was alone all the time and I was drinking a lot. I would drink like a whole bottle of wine, like on a regular basis, like a big, the big bottles, you know what I mean? The one fives. Yeah. All easy. 
easily. Like I was a really bad drinker and I think nobody knew the extent of it because I have a good way of, you know, hiding things and making, I didn't want, I don't want anyone to ever think there's a problem, you know? Yeah. But, um, so I've gone through like bouts of quitting drinking and I had situations where people would be like, Karen, you should stop drinking. And I would try to, um, commit to it. And I would do this thing where like, it's the sort of thing where, you know, when you drink too much on the weekend and during the week, you're like, I won't drink at all. And then by Friday, you're, you're ready to go again. So I would yeah. take like a month off and then think that I've healed my liver or my heart or whatever it was. And then I would just drink again and it would be worse. Can, and I, so before... say, can I stay at that moment? Cause like, to me, that's super interesting mm. to be like, I, I don't know if it was so toxic that like your body's rejecting it to the point you need mm. to heal or that you're just have that mental fortitude of like, um, I'm that much of a badass, I can make it kind of a thing. Because if you're drinking that much, man, it, I feel yeah. like it would be really hard to cut it off but, and then go hard, cut it off, go hard, cut yeah, it off. Um, I guess in my head, it probably was. I, I don't think I, I never really had like symptoms of like, I never was shaky. I never really had any of that. I just had that, that break. It was all about this, making sure that I could feel comfortable in my skin and um, when I would take a month off, I, I was always working out really hard. And like, I always did fitness. So I never worried about things like that. But so before I started that new job, I was just drinking a lot worse. And things were going on in my life that I was trying to like triggering me. And I met someone, I was talking to somebody. It was just not a healthy situation. And I, I think a lot of the root of a lot of my drinking is shame. And that could be rooted in my gayness and being ashamed of who I was before. Hmm. But there's always just been this sense of shame and fear. And I think I was drinking to medicate that. But I took a 45 day break and I like thought I had it. Like I was so convinced because I just was so, I was like so sick of myself at that point. I couldn't handle another fucking drop of alcohol. Yeah, and so. Um, no, because I'm curious when you ask like sloppy drunk, functional drunk about me and um, I'm, I'm probably a terrible drunk because I think most people are probably their worst selves when they drink, yes. <laughs> despite whatever positive yeah. spin they want to put on it. Um, when you went with the 45 day break, mm -hmm. like what did you discover about yourself? What were you happy mm -hmm to find or were you just sitting there miserable being like, fuck, no, I really want to I've it. never gone without drinking and felt worse about myself. I remember actually the first year I quit drinking was like the best year of my life. It's like seeing the world for the first time again. Cause I never really had a trouble, had a trouble, had a problem like <laughs> enjoying my own company. So I think I was just, I think I was just having a difficult time letting that relationship go with alcohol. That was all it came down to. And that last bender was like, it ended up being really bad. The last time I went out to drink, I went to work, had that whiskey Friday happen, which triggered me, met up with some friends and I had been doing some, you know, freelance work for a local company. And that whole environment was kind of toxic at that point. And I think that just fed into the situation. And I remember leaving that and I would just like, if I would go out with my friends, I would actually bring just little nips of like whiskey with me too. Oh, like shit. I would just little yeah. shots of so, fire. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm like a little man. My tolerance is bonkers, you know? So I went home and I think like I had just started that job. And by the time the weekend was over, I remember waking up and I thought it was the morning, but it was like the nighttime. I had oh. no idea what time it was. I thought I had to go to work and it was like one of those things where I called my sister and she always knew when I was drunk. And so 
I remember telling her I wanted to kill myself. Like I was, yeah, I was suicidal, a hundred percent suicidally depressed, like on and off that whole time. And I told her I wanted to kill myself. And she, she told me to stop drinking, got me on the phone with someone from a suicide hotline. And then the next day I went to work and I was so, I was probably still drunk. I remember reeking of like Chardonnay, which is funny you say that. Cause it was like the only time I've ever puked from Chardonnay. My body was probably rejecting it at that point. Right. And so I went to work this new job thinking everyone's not, like, everyone knows this thing. I probably looked ridiculous. And then I remember having to walk all the way down midtown Manhattan, like eighth Ave to get to, um, a meeting because I was told by the lady you have to go to 30 minutes 30 meetings in 30 days so I walked all the way to this meeting in like 80 degree weather I'm sweating Chardonnay out of my body get there it's like I walk up and it's like no air conditioning it's like just weird I went there for like five minutes and I had to get back from my back to work because it was like new and I couldn't fuck up with the brakes and then I went there got home that night and went to another meeting and I went up to a few meetings and I remember I know it works for a lot of people, but I remember being there and thinking like, there's no way I'm going to go to a place and say to everyone every day, I'm carrying, I'm an alcoholic. Like that's like, go defeats my label perspective. I'm not an alcoholic. Yes. I have a problem with alcohol, but I'm not going to latch on to another identity to just like repeat over and over again. I'm so many more things than that, you know? So I never like quit drinking and struggled with wondering if I would enjoy my own company. I just don't think I felt like I knew how to be good enough without something else to ease my worries. And that was the only thing I had to unlearn. And it's still a process. It's called life. So I just wasn't really present until now. Ease the, yeah, man, you've said the like toxic um, a couple of times. And I'm very curious if you've analyzed like the elements mm. of what is toxic. Because it seems like you're extremely confident. You're extremely talented. And you've mm. had all these... I don't know, pretty big opportunities to me from Southern Delaware, New York city. I'm like, that's, it's pretty fucking cool that you had all these opportunities Mm -hmm. and like the self doubt to me seems odd. Not that it's not worthy, but like, I guess, no, it's absolutely unfounded. If that makes Mm. sense. Yeah, I think it's true. I think probably a lot of the toxic parts of my life were like rooted in, um, codependency, you know, whether it was like somebody else in my life that I could, lean on for comfort or just I think the life I grew up in like the home life and my home life was nothing compared to a lot of people's but it's just like everyone's is different and everyone's threshold is different but I just think I had a a weird upbringing in that I always I had a stepfather that I I never really grew up in a house where I had a male figure that could say something like hey honey or hey beautiful without it just being like uncomfortable and I don't mean that in a sexual way I just had a very like I never trusted I guess or maybe I just and I just felt kind of anxious all the time I was always worried about upsetting someone I had so like there's just a lot of things to it I think I've always doubted myself because I probably didn't hear good things enough like everyone else you weren't hyped up hyped up enough yeah maybe so yeah no dude like I was you know I don't know I think I have always just been such a hyper observer of things and such an empath that I've just witnessed so many other, like I could witness if I witnessed, for instance, I remember my brother got yelled at once when I was younger and I probably cried thinking about how upset he was. I could handle someone else 
yelling at me, but I can't handle seeing it. You know, I can't handle other people being treated that way. I don't know if that ties into the way, like, I definitely don't hype myself up enough, I guess. And I don't necessarily, I don't not believe in my, I'm very talented. I know that. I know I'm really good at what, like, I could be good at a million things, but it's a weird thing. It's like, do I feel like I'm not good enough or am, am I not, maybe I'm okay with things not being, you know, like that level, you know, I don't know. Yeah. When you say level, I always find it interesting. And just because I, I don't know why I tend to do this, but I, I guess I tend to over explain my rationale, maybe as like a hey, I'll be vulnerable, you be vulnerable kind of a thing. But like, it fucks me with the podcast basic thing of like, what is good enough? Mm-hmm. Like, what would success be? Like, okay, so you have this getting to know you pod and not that it's a big deal, but maybe according to Chartable, you're a top 10,000 podcast. And is mm-hmm. that good enough? Do you need to be top 1,000? What would that change in your life if you were top 10 in the mm-hmm. globe? Like, <gasps> what's enough? kind of a thing. And I wonder, like, comparison is the thief of joy. And when you set these expectations, you're almost bound to not meet them because you're setting them in ignorance. I have no fucking idea what makes a really good podcast. I don't know if the people with the top 100 podcasts buy follows, they have downloads, they tell all their fucking employees, have this shit on streaming, they buy them like burner phones to just have their pods playing all the time. Like, there's shit that Indian farms or like farms in India where like people are getting paid to download and comment, like all this shit. I'm like, is it reasonable for me to have a metric? I guess is what I'm getting at. And when I analyze it, I'm like, it's not about the metric. It's just about joy. Isn't that the metric? Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. Like the process, like, do I enjoy conversations like this with someone like you? And at the moment I'm like, it, I, I'm enjoying myself, (laughs) right? And like, that's the metric. I think that's what I mean too. I think a lot of life, and I'm not saying I shouldn't push harder and go beyond my ability, but I think I've been fed over and over this idea of like, you just got to keep moving and you got to, don't overthink it and try harder. And it's like, who who can determine what makes me happy? And I think, what if I'm happy not making ninety thousand a hundred thousand dollars a year what if i'm happy and i'm not saying that i I should make it a life that's sustainable and manageable i don't want to live in like um like a hole in the middle of the woods but if i'm able to sustain myself and feel like i'm living a life that's that's meaningful then i feel like that's winning you know yeah and is that the standard you were holding yourself up against some sort of salary metric I think a lot of my life has been this, uh, maybe it's the growing up in a, in a, a state of constant financial worry or in a family that was financially worried all the time. Like I always say this, so I have no issue. There's some people that you will meet that, and I know people and it's, it's unfortunate, but there's some people that will have never fallen in love in their life or some people that are always yearning to find that person that they'll connect with. That is something that in my life, and I'm very grateful, I've never had a problem with that. I've never had a problem, even as a lesbian, I've never had a problem meeting people, falling in love, being vulnerable in an emotional way in that sense, ever. 
And if you could put a salary on my ability in that way, I'd be a millionaire, you know? <laughs> so Tinder, that's, that's are you listening, life. Tinder? Hit her no, up but right that's now. that's part of life that is like so much more enjoyable than the seeking of a better salary. But if you place it against someone else, like that, not my sister in the love sense, but my sister makes a good wage. She's a very, she's an account, like into uh, the banking sphere. She's in numbers. So she makes a good um, wage. Is she more successful than me? If like, if she had it all, like, I'm just saying, if we were going to measure people to each other, is somebody like me who might not have the pinnacle of like financial success at this moment because of my, my um, choices, is that success? Or is it somebody that's making a lot of money, you know? And I think I know, like, once you've got the love thing figured out, then all you got to do is get the money thing figured out. And that's a learnable thing. So I, sometimes I just think we just place too much stock in money and money is absolutely the oxygen of the world. It's like we need it, but I'm not worried about it because I have the meaningful part right. Yeah, it can be. I, I've recently just completely adopted this minimalistic lifestyle of like, why? Mm -hmm. I want to purchase something. I'm like, wow, I was fucking with myself the other day about this with um, back to school. I'm like, you know what? I didn't buy new ties, new dress shirts, new pants this year. And then I look in my closet and I'm like, dude, you literally have, because I've been the same like body weight mm -hmm. basically for like, <laughs> for yeah, right? No, like decently fortunate. But again, because I get so bored and I'm trying to stop myself from turning to an unfunctioning alcoholic, mm -hmm. I work out pretty often. I'm mm -hmm. like, dude, I literally have 60 dress shirts. I'm like, I can go, and then not even counting polos or fucking sweaters. Like, I could go 90 days without ever repeating a shirt if I wanted to. Why the fuck do I need to go you buy could? another shirt? Yeah, dude, because I have... No, you yeah. have 90 shirts? Oh, easily, man. In total, I'm talking about tops. So, like, that when is you... ridiculous. It, it is. It, dude, it is. But so when you, like, when you're... I don't know. I've been a teacher 15 years. So every Christmas I get three ties and four dress shirts. Wow. And you know, like, and then I coach. So every year I get two polos mm -hmm. and then you just have like a nice sweater here and there. You know what I'm saying? Like, and then you've bought shit. So like it wow. adds up if you maintain the same size. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm 41 years old. Like I've been yeah. teaching since I was 23, I think fucking 17 years at this point. So like, mm -hmm. and my point being, I had to fight myself to be like, it's a new school year. You buy new clothes. And I'm like, the fuck are you doing, man? Like, why wow. do you need new but that's, clothes? That's probably like, that's almost like uh, the calendar year. We sort of like honor the same things over and over again. It's probably just like a comforting time of year where you do this. And it's, it's a ritual. Yes. It's a ritual. hundred so percent. Probably it has nothing to do with the clothes. It has something to do with filling that like, Oh, everything's on the right track, you know? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm getting ready for a new school year. But my, yep. my point was like, do I really need to drop $300? Fucking put it in your IRA, man. Absolutely. <laughs> like put it in your kid's college fund instead. Yourself to put it somewhere else and see how you feel about that, you know? Exactly. Maybe upgrade my bottle of red for tomorrow. Yeah. Um, no, but and I, I don't like, I think there's like my perspective. There's definitely like a limit to living, um, that sort of simplistic life. Like I can, I can certainly treat myself better. I could take myself, uh, treat myself to things more often than I do. I'm not saying there's not a deeper 
meaning like reason for why I'm the way I am. But I think overall, like I'm satisfied with the fundamentals and that's a really cool thing. And I think just having a conversation with you, you, you do too, you have those down. But yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? So then why would people, and why do we even debate the metric of, I need to look a certain way, I need to because have- Because we're a, on, we're comparing ourselves I need, all yeah, the time. Yeah, which is, it, it, but it's, if everyone acknowledges that it sucks, why worst. do we do it? We do it because it gives us, there's a sick joy and there's also this um, necessary ability to look at someone else's life and say, maybe I can get more and maybe it's a, a, dr a driver in that way. But when you see, especially on Instagram, you see people like, oh, they're going to France this weekend. I wish I was going to France. Why don't like, and it's like your perspective shifts so, so drastically in one moment because you think you want something someone else has. You don't see behind the camera that the person in France and their husband or their boyfriend or their girlfriend fucking hate each other. And like, like, you know, there's so much more to it. So if you could turn off Instagram, I remember I like last year I took six months off of Instagram or something, which, whoa, big deal. Who cares? But like that six months, I was like so much more present. I made like 20 paintings. Like, I just feel like we're always trying to convince people of the things that we want to convince ourselves. <laughs> Yeah. I, what was your quote again? Instagram is for insecurities. I really yeah. like that because it, it makes me reflect on what I post. Um, I mean, I don't want to get yeah. to whatever. I post every day. I'm like, should I have done that? I don't know. People are going to, it's like, why do I fucking care? <laughs> but sometimes it's also like I'll post things and the people that I feel like I care about the most are the ones that don't acknowledge it. I'm like, I need people in my life that fucking want me to succeed you know and I feel like a lot of life is choosing the people you want in your life and I've made choices that probably come from a place of comparison and wanting people to think things are good in my life but if you don't have people in your life that are celebrating you then like that's gonna stop you from yeah, doing the things yeah. you want and being happy and I I need to work on that too yeah um just because I try to be semi-organized with um I guess time stamping I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing so what I'm thinking of now with the drinking is was part of the drinking to help you stop the comparisons or to cope with you comparing yourself? Um, I'm sure that was one of the many things it was stopping doing. It was just <laughs> quieting the noise in my brain. I mean, I was just, I'm such a over, not so much anymore. I mean, I am, but it's not a negative necessarily as much as it was. I'm just by nature hypersensitive and I'm and drinking very briefly will create this illusion of that feeling being gone and I needed that I needed to just shut my brain off and it's it was hard for me to do and so yeah it shut the part of my comparison self off for sure but that that will never go away and you're gonna the less the more you're comparing yourself to other people like you're never in a really good place in your life comparing yourself to your, other people like you're never you know like it's like anything in life. When you're happy, you're not talking shit. Like, it's just, it, it's true. It's like there's a certain place in your life for comparison, and that means you just need to, like, fix something. I think it's just, a, it's a good mirror to a part of yourself you need to work on. Yeah, that's interesting um, to get philosophical because you clearly have a degree in communications and philosophy, or at least several <laughs> online courses. <laughs> 
perhaps TED Talks that you've um, yeah. rewatched two to three times. But that is something I'm, I'm thinking of now. Like, if you're bothered by somebody and you're talking shit on them, mm-hmm. is it really your own insecurity that you yes. need to deal with? And I'm talking about from a place of do it. I do it all the time. When I'm not satisfied with a part of myself, what's the best way to, you know, make that feeling go away is to just look at someone else and say, oh, they're not happy. Oh, that person's a douchebag. You just did it I'm, about the people. You just did it about the couple in France. You shit yes. on the couple in France. Because I'm an asshole. No, but there's, <laughs> but there is room for honest analyzing douchebags because there are some of them in the world and they need to be um, called out. But and that's also a problem too. I think a lot of people like I could be sarcastic and I could be this and that. And I think I meet a lot of people and they're like, Oh, you're so intimidating. I'm like, no, like, I'm just like, have no filter, but I'm also like a big fucking softy. Like I have no problem getting down to the like deep vulnerable parts of myself at all. And I think people probably are surprised by that, but yeah, I don't know. No, no. Man, I, I don't know why, but I just started thinking about the drinking again, and I don't know why I'm harping on that. Other Maybe that's than, something you need to work on in your life. So. No doubt. like Because now I'm self-analyzing myself through you. Mm-hmm. But were those voices about you, or were those voices focused on the sympathy, empathy towards others and being like, I should have been better in this situation or, Oh my God, they think this about me versus you thinking this about, is there even a distinction in that? Or is it really the same place? Well, it would be going, there's a broad way to talk about it. And then there's a way to get down to the nitty gritty details. And the truth was the root of that whole part of my life, the catalyst of that was um, a really awful breakup that led me to those paranoid thoughts of like, what if this is happening? What does that happen? Blah, blah, blah. It's like that never ending thing. And most of drinking though was, I like to keep up this. I don't want people to know that anything is going wrong. And maybe that actually comes from my pre, like my partner always says like, you're worried about people thinking something's wrong with you. And I think it's because there was something deeply wrong with me for a long time and nobody could, all I wanted was someone to just fucking hold me and say, you stop, like you're okay. But I was too afraid of, letting anyone know what was going on. And I needed people to know, like, I'm not coming around. I'm not here because I'm like so depressed and I'm drinking by myself. I'm not making choices that are selfish here. I'm in a place that I need help. Mm. And so I think there was way too many thoughts going on in those, those times in my life that even like begin to think about. But it all comes down to an over obsessive thinking about yourself and how you're perceived. And that's actually narcissism. So it's not necessarily, you could say all you want, it's empathy and blah, blah, blah. But like, no, you're worried about how you're being perceived. And that's an ego filled trait. And I don't want to be ruled by my ego, you know? So. Yeah, I I forget what Freud had as the three parts. I want to say the Mm -hmm. ego, the id, and there was. Yeah, what's that? Id, ego, and what's the other one? Whatever it is, we're clearly lacking it. If we don't even know it. No, but it's true. It's like, it's so hard to like break the relationship with the ego. And like every day it's a, it's a trial. Yeah. So you chalk it up to a little bit, or I shouldn't say a little bit, but depression. Um, 
Well, this is my view on depression and I've gone through my share of it. I mean, I also think for women it's different because we go through like there's part times of the month where I'm not choosing to be this feeling. It's just a hormonal true <laughs> experience. And there's real truth to that. But um, depression, from my experience, having experienced it, is about a lack of action. When you're depressed, uh... you're in your thoughts. But if you take action on the things that it's just like avoidance. How many times have you procrastinated in your life doing something? And that feeling of that brief feeling of um, relief it provides you is nothing in comparison to the next day and how desperate you want to get out of that situation. So de depression for me is the inability to take action on changing something that needs to be changed. And for instance, drinking, a lot of people drink because they feel like it's giving them the sense of um, relief from their depression, but they don't know it's exacerbating it tenfold. Like, stop drinking the next day you're going to want it even more and you're going to need it because it's going to relieve that thing it's a vicious cycle so yeah depression also can go away a lot of people think they're like but you don't understand i'm a depressed person that's why i drink well i do understand because i was that same person but it will stop if you stop drinking it will go away i didn't think that i would ever be able to have a good night's sleep and granted i'm not the best sleeper but i used to depend on something to sleep whether it be xanax or drinking I needed something. Yeah. Once I just stopped depending on anything as a crutch, I don't need it anymore. Would it be nice occasionally? Sure. But I don't need it. And I think that's the world we live in. It's just like the sense of like, you don't get how I feel. This is the only thing that works. I won't try it way. Yeah, because that almost goes back to that entitled of, I should, <laughs> I deserve to not feel this way. Yep. Where maybe, no, man, a fucking ant doesn't deserve to get squished. <laughs> a bug doesn't deserve to hit your windshield. Shit just happens. Fucking suck it up. I always thought of my alcoholism. I don't even like to call it that word. It's so stupid. But um, I always thought my issue with, uh, with alcohol was like a um, self-created disability. It's like there are people that walk around with missing limbs and um, mental uh, ish like issues that they don't choose. And they go on with their life with more um, resilience and strength than I did in those moments. And I needed something because there was nothing physical on me that anyone could see that was wrong. I needed something to have wrong in my life to reflect the inner darkness, you know, and alcoholism was like that constant cry for help. If that makes any sense. Dude, it's, <clears throat> that's poetic as fuck. I want to <laughs> read the poem. Do you write poetry at all? I did write poetry for a long time. I haven't written in a long time, but I had a few like published at very, very small publications, but I did write for a long time. Oh. <laughs> and I was a writer for like, um, my first internship was like a music website that I would write like blogs and stuff, but I do love writing and I need to like another thing that I want to harness, but No yeah. doubt, just throw it, like spaghetti, right? Throw it up against yeah. the wall, see what sticks, if I can monetize it at all. There you go. Did you ever, and this might be a real stupid question, did you ever pinpoint, or can you even pinpoint, what makes you feel depressed when you were feeling that way? Not, I'm not trying to like say no, it's okay. depressed now. Well, I think I've, I've gone through depression in my, I remember being like young, and I don't know if it was just like, I don't, and I'm just saying this from the truth, I don't know if there's certain changes that are going on as you're growing up that create hormonal changes that make you feel darkness that I remember being 12 years old and 
<clears throat> listening to music and just sobbing and feeling this darkness. <clears throat> and I think it could have been like maybe situations in my childhood, but I just felt this darkness. But then there's a part of you, like everyone else that's been depressed, there's an addictive quality to that place. There's something really like comforting almost about, you know, when you just like love to listen to sad music, you like just love to bask in that place. It's cinematic. It's sort of like the movies. It's just I'm the, only happy when it rains. <laughs> and the truth is, it's like there was a stage, a season in my life that was like that, like everyone else that's angsty and a teenager. But um, my teen, like depression when I was in it, it's like being an alcoholic. I can't imagine what being drunk is like anymore. <clears throat> Sorry. I cannot imagine what being drunk is like. If you told me how to explain it, I don't know. Just like I can't imagine what being depressed is like because I'm not feeling it right now. But when I'm in it, it's so real. And it's one of those things. Yeah, I it, it seem, I come at depression from a place of privilege because I don't think I've genuinely been depressed. Like yeah, the way that people crazy. describe it. And I've I've spoken to many people who are like, I don't know why I can't get the fuck out of bed. And I know mm. I'm a bitch oh. for not getting out of bed. And I mm. fucking hate the fact that I can't get out of bed. Mm. I can't get the fuck out of bed. And I'm like, I like get the fuck out of bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like it's so easy for before, me to say. Though, I was going to say when you were talking about like your loans and everything, you just have this personality that like you're taking. It's not even necessarily like I could say it's always productive, but you can't stop going and you need yeah. something to keep yourself busy. You're a busybody yeah. kind of person. So maybe if you stop being that busy, like there's, there's certain people in life I've found there are doers and there's observers. I'm somebody like, I am not going to go above and beyond and try to do things to impress people. That's just not my personality. I don't like to do things just to like, like there's certain people that'll like help everybody when they need help and blah, blah, blah. Like that's great when the time is right, but I'm not doing it to receive <laughs> satisfaction, you know? But there's certain people that get their Fuck you and your flat tire. I'm driving <laughs> no, on. That's, that is true. No, but I mean, like, if there's somebody in a dire situation, I'm there. But I'm not the person you could always fucking call. You know, that's called being... And that comes from having been... Um, had no backbone in my life and Ooh. being too giving. So I've learned that. It's not like I feel bad about it. But you feel a little used. Yeah. But I don't feel like resentful. I think there's, you learn that maybe there's limits to it. And there's certain people that, you know, like there's always the family member that's always doing stuff and like can't sit still. And I think maybe, I'm not saying you'll feel depressed, but maybe if you try not to be busy all the time, you'd be like, maybe drinking without drinking, you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. And yeah. that's a weird place to be. No, because if I'm not drinking, what the fuck am I doing? It's like really? I have to be doing two things. There you go. You know, like, so try honestly, not to be doing, and then you'll find you're depressed. I yeah, no, I, I think there's something really to that. And probably not just for me, but for so a lot. People. Yeah. For a lot yeah. of people, it's being okay with the stillness, mm -hmm. you know, like a um, um, placid pond. Yes. Very nice. I tried. But they called me in high school. <laughs> placid pond. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, for, I, I don't even want to say the stupid ass joke that I was thinking of because it doesn't relate in any way and I couldn't figure out a way to get it back to myself. Um, Perfect. <laughs> no, that's just such a fucking random thought. Dude, oh, I, how'd you get this insightful? 
did you actually like go and seek counseling? Was it your partners or friends in your life that helped you to these realizations? Was it Jordan Peterson? Because he's like huge. Dude, he's huge on that fucking, and one of his films, I know he catches a lot of shit and maybe it goes back to like, are you allowed to like Jordan Peterson as someone That's who's like, a homosexual, <laughs> right? But it was funny though, like when I found him, I remember coming home one day and I was listening, he was on the TV or something. And I remember like, who is that person? Like saying everything that I've ever felt like, but I could never articulate in that way. I don't know if I've, um, I've never really gone to, I've gone to like, brief I've had brief stints of therapy I have I don't know if I'm so insightful but I've just never really had an issue talking about this sort of stuff I've had like so much time to myself growing up that was so cherished like me if you gave me music and like a window in a car and just I could just go I would that would be my happy place like just being someone to look out the window and have music playing I've just always been really comfortable with those places of depth I don't like I don't know where it came from I just think maybe being in societal situations maybe it's because when I was four years old or five years old I already was aware of this thing called gay like I knew who I I knew about my sexual orientation way earlier than I think most people most people are like really like you were I'm like there was just something that I was aware of so early on in my life that forced me to analyze everything and make sure my behavior was fitting according to that sort of structure. So I don't know if it comes from that, but I don't know. Was, I really don't know. Being that young, was it like accepted by the family or was that a source it, of conflict? Oh, no. so that's what I mean. When I'm like four, four or five, like first grade kindergarten level, knowing this thing about myself and learning like over time, that's, this is not right. You know? knowing that I couldn't talk about it, I was very aware of it for a long time. And so that's probably where my my deep feelings of shame stemmed from. I was afraid of anyone knowing this thing about me, just like I was afraid of anyone knowing I was an alcoholic. Like, so I think I just was in a, lived a life where I was just having to check everything to make sure it was in order. So nobody, nothing was wrong. And that le it's led to freedom in my own life because I'm very comfortable with who I am. But now I just, depth is just something I'm desirous of all the time. What's the time frame for you in first grade? Like what year are we talking um, about? I think it's like, oh, five or six years old or something, right? No, I mean like the oh, year, like 1990, 2000. Two or 93 or something. I'm, I'm 33. Okay. I'll be 34 in November. Got you. Yeah, because I, as a teacher now, I just think of the training I go to. And I was not a teacher in 92. I was mm -hmm. 11 years old. But 96, like now, I'm thinking even in my high school experiences, like 96, 97. And I, I like I spoke about that. Like it was, you can't have these gay thoughts. You know, mm -hmm. like it was you didn't see it on TV. It was yeah. risque. It was cutting oh edge. And even 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no doubt. Now it's right? like, if you're not like, now it's not even good enough to be gay. You got to be trans now. <laughs> yeah. I'm all for all my people, but like, I'm not like, people are like, you're gay. Fuck off. I don't give a shit about you. It's yeah. like, it's like, yeah, I don't know. No, it's I, totally I, different. I feel like that was trending on Twitter. Like the white, the white female or the white, 
homosexual cannot claim like protective status or some shit. Oh, exactly. Because it's like, it's no longer good enough because you have to have these other extremes. But back then it like, it's fucking, I I don't know, but it Mm -hmm. definitely was not accepted. And I could not imagine the mind fuck of a kid figuring out their identity and Mm -hmm. having to fight urges. I do remember what it was like to like girls and I'm fucking like, we're going to recess and I'm thinking of excuses in fifth grade to like slip back to the classroom to throw a, I like you secret admirer note. (laughs) We're going to the fucking drugstore to get like the candy box or Mm -hmm. buying the flowers. And like, you know, all these little things where I was able to embrace my urges yeah. But I never felt like if I got found out, yeah, I might be a little embarrassed that I like a girl, but it's like, that's what I'm supposed to do versus yeah. someone who, who is like constantly hit over the fucking head of like, you should not mm-hmm. do that. And like that to me would, I feel naturally lead to issues of like second guessing and not Absolutely. feeling good enough. And that's a lot of people that are gay or, you know, are addicts because they do, I think regardless of, uh, your sexual orientation shame is the root of all addiction period mm. we all have some form of shame there's all something there's always something you could look back on and think like you ever have those moments like you drank too much and you think 10 years later or like five days later or 10 weeks later that thing you did and you just like oh like you can't even handle it yeah that feeling times like your whole life you know like i don't know like we just all have some moment in our life that has changed who we are and I don't know do you mind so do you mind sharing when you came out and what that experience was like for you yeah I mean I was 12 when I well I always I didn't didn't always know I was gay but when I was a young kid I knew I was gay like I don't mean to say like out the womb I knew I like girls like but um I had like a normal-ish childhood and would have like random boyfriends, but like, obviously you knew that like, this is not comfortable for me. And so I had a boyfriend and he was actually the first boy that I, person I came out to, I was 12, but then, yeah. So that was fine. Cause it was still like just one person. It wasn't like I was telling everyone. Wait, don't jump the story. Like, no, stay at the that, story. Like, dude, did he try to kiss you? And you like no. slapped him? Like, what was the, it was like a 12, 12 year old relationship that was way too mature for like that time i was like he like loved me he was like i'm gonna put your name in like that kind of guy and i was like this is not okay with me but um i came out to him and his my best friend was like his best friend so it was like one of those situations but that was like the first person i came out to and then i came out to my mom when i was like 16 <clears throat> and um it was one of those things where it's like i couldn't handle another second of not coming out And then when I finally told her, it was like right before she was going to bed. And I thought that she would be totally like, whatever. Like, who didn't know I was gay? I'm so gay kind of situation. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And then she's like, I was like, mom, I have to tell you something. And she's like, what? The the cops are coming. I'm like, no. (laughs) She's like, you're pregnant. I'm like, definitely not. And then she's like, so one other thing. And I was like, no, I'm gay. And like, I was so expecting her to just like, I don't know what I was expecting, to be honest, but she was taken aback. And the thing about parents learning about their kid being gay is like, you can't be mad at them for not being okay with it right away because everyone's first uh, response is, how are people going to think of me? So in that moment, my mom might have been protecting herself. And that's fair. She might have been 
protecting the the idea of who she thought I was going to become in her heart, you know, who she thought I'd be. And that was something she had to grieve. And in that moment, I thought I was going to be in a safe space, but I think I just like upset her in whatever way she was upset. And that's, I'm not upset at her at all for that. That was her experience. But um, yeah, so it was like, that was the bigger moment. And then it's sort of like, gradually, I just started coming out to people and I never, I never had a big moment of coming out. I just sort of tell people, you're never, you never stop coming out when you're gay. There's always going to be someone else, you know? Yeah. But, um, yeah. So th this might be a really corny question. Um, like when did you come out to yourself? When did you finally uh, accept? So 12 years with the boyfriend at 16 with the mom, like when were you like, yeah, this is, this is who I am. I guess I never, I always accepted myself, but I also didn't accept myself for a long time. And a weird, like I always knew there's no way around this. I'm gay. Like <laughs> there's no fucking way of this is going to be reversed or anything. I knew there was no way it was changing, but I remember going, like I moved twice once in elementary school and another time before high school. And I remember thinking like when I would move, it was another opportunity for me to reinvent myself and sort of give this image of being maybe more, I didn't want to be, like, if I had never moved the first time, I probably would be, like, some butch lesbian. Because I would have just, like, it's true. <laughs> I probably would have just been exactly what I was then and just morphed it. Shaved but, flannels <laughs> and backward hats. Spiked, the, spiked hair. <laughs> Who fucking knows what I'd be? Thank God we moved. But, like, every time we moved, I felt like I had this opportunity to, like, latch on to some femininity that I thought existed inside of me. and Which was a good thing, though. Because, like, yeah. I was able to, like accept my my womanhood in a, in a way that like being a lesbian is the best thing ever like I could be a little sappy emotional girl but I like to like women like a lot of men have this unfortunate thing where they have to act like they're so tough and like it's just a hard it's hard to be a good man I think and um I don't know I just when did I what was the question again when did I officially come out to myself I think I always was out to myself I just changed over time there was different levels of it you know that's so interesting. The fact that moving allowed you to almost like not conform to the stereotype. Cause now I'm mm -hmm. trying to think back then and I like, I, I really don't mean any sort of like disrespect or any shit like this, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking about like, what was the first public persona lesbian that I knew of? And Rosie O'Donnell keeps popping in my head. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Like I, I feel like that's pre-internet. I feel oh like God. if I go before the I internet. Know. That's hilarious. Like, well, I definitely not one of you fucking Rosie O'Donnell. That's for sure. Yeah, but like, I think that was one of the things because she was married to like Tom Arnold or something. Yeah, that's so weird to think about. And then she like leaves him. And like, I, I can't remember how old I was or what it was. I want to say it was like mid to late 90s. But it was one of those things where I'm wondering for someone who's like feeling this way and you're seeking, I think all youth seek role models and examples. Yeah. And then you build your identity off of that, right? Like if you want to be a basketball player, you look at the basketball guys and you fucking walk like them, you talk like them, you dress like them, you hoop like them and whatever your lane is. And I'm trying to think of like, how would you find what is okay or what is accepted? Not what is okay. Like what is the norm for this mm. that seems abnormal? And I'm trying to think like, man, what a fucking mind fuck. So you being yeah. able to move and then like reassess to me is like really high level also, intellect. 
and also be able to like analyze what's trendy and what's right and what's cool like but there's also like i would meet girls and or see girls in high school you know there's a difference like the guy that you see like as a man there's probably men you saw or dudes in high school that like you don't have a crush on but you want to fucking look like that guy oh dude like, i mean that's it's basically yeah. everyone i have on the podcast who's a guy yeah. or follow on instagram but there was plenty <laughs> of girls like that i met that i knew the difference between a girl that i wanted to like have the body of or look like or just like and the girl that i couldn't stop thinking about like there's different little pieces you could take from everyone and then there were guys that i wish i could be like and like was envious of the fact that they got all the girls and i'm like oh poor me i'm just gay you know like i don't know there's no real role model but there's pieces we take from everyone was there much hatred or did you come out and like it was pretty accepting because i feel (laughs) if it was in new york i feel like that's the classic no, I, liberal I grew up in a town uh, more north. I went to high school. It was called West Milford. It was actually a little bit more rural, but I never, I don't like think I ever opened myself up to even having those sorts of like, there's always going to be guys that say things that are inappropriate. There's always going to be people that say things, but I never was a victim of that. And I think being a girl, it's different. If I was a guy, I'd probably have way more chances of getting my ass kicked in that environment or like, who knows, but I didn't really feel I think also moving allowed me to be feminine enough to come out with confidence, if that makes sense. Like when you come out and I wanted to make sure that I was attractive, not just to women, but I wanted men to see someone who was like, I wanted people to be interested in me and not just be interested in my gayness so that when I was coming out, it was just another thing, you know? So I don't know. It was all about just like the way people looked at me. I'm thinking back to the time and I'm wondering how hard it was to find like same sex partners to date. Like how do you broach? Cause there is no fucking whatever. Like um, I'm trying to think of the stupid dating app, not farmers. But is okay. Cupid like for like straight homosexuals. I I felt like there was homosexuals. Yeah. um, I met a few girls. I never really, I mean, I had those, people that you meet that are like, I had a few lucky chances of like having girls that liked me back in high school. Like I, I didn't have like, I had good luck in that, that. Yeah. But like, how do you vibe that out? So again, like with okay, Cupid, you I can have the say ability to walk in a room and assess things and <laughs> trust that. No, I really like, I'm not saying it in like in every situation, but I have a lot of situations where I've met people and you just get a feeling and you run with it. You don't attack, but you, analyze yeah, yeah. six and you just trust it yeah and you have to be able to do that when you're gay because you can't just go up to someone and say oh you you want to go on a date like you have to do that so you know just a good intuition sometimes i've gotten into several like woo woo conversations about like twin flames and mm. all this fucking whatever astrology shit and it comes back to like you have a conscious for a reason and you have a gut for a reason you have this intuition for a reason and it's amazing how many people fight it and don't oh follow my god it. absolutely or some people just have it shut off i'm convinced because i don't know i can't imagine going through it's like also one of those privileged things where like i can't imagine going through life having not had feelings for someone or just having that moment of like rapture or just having those feelings you know that a lot of people have never had i'm assuming i don't know they're just shutting off. 
I think what the problem is, is that we live in a world where you're lo- like watching Disney movies and all these romantic things and you romanticize and you make, I- you ideal- make an idealistic view of things that doesn't exist. Yeah. Like there were times where I would fall for girls that it would never work out with. And then I think that can't be love. I'm living in an illusion. And then I date someone who I was like, whatever about thinking I just had to, this was the really like the truth. If that makes any sense. Hmm. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my head around it. Like settling because you feel lied to by movies. No, because I figured if the situation that felt so right didn't work out, then maybe it's not the healthy one or something. And then, but then I did, I am with somebody that I had the full spectrum of feelings for Like I had the whole, everything that I could have wanted in that whole situation. I had the, you know, the instant falling in love, that whole thing. So you can have all those things, but I think it's what level are you willing to open yourself up to? And it's an energy that you put out to people and that let them in. And I have an energy that whether or not it seems intimidating or whatever, I'm open to love. And maybe I, I'm open to love in ways where I'm not open enough to my love of myself at times, but Hmm. I am open to, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying this in a way of like, I'm open to love and I'm all love. Like, no, I'm, I'm open to sister wives. <laughs> hit me up. Yeah. I'm open to just like giving of myself, even if it doesn't work out and just that's okay. You know? Yeah. I'm, it's interesting to me. You talk about this, like, and I, I literally forgot the word you described and I was trying to use your word to not, phrase you in some weird way but like the confidence being off-putting or offsetting like this arrogance like i don't get that at all i just get you as fucking quirky high energy and reflective i don't get it as like i don't take it as off-putting yeah i guess i just don't and i yeah i think there's times where i try to like confirm with all people that I'm not trying to like put myself out there as some, like, I, I just think the most unappealing uh, personality trait is somebody who just has no awareness of their time or the space they're taking up or their, all these things. And I don't ever want to be that person because I can be, but I just like making it clear that like, I'm here for like more than myself. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> more than myself. <laughs> yeah. um it but maybe not maybe just about myself well no i mean everybody's about themselves in some sense like i've even realized the fact that i i really enjoy teaching because ultimately it's nice to help people but i feel better about myself when i feel like i've helped somebody Mm -hmm. and that's self-serving right but it's Mm -hmm. like Humble brag. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I did this for this kid. And it's like, really, I just want to put it out. But really, no, it's like, for some reason, I feel good about mm-hmm. myself when I have that Boy. story to tell or I've been of yeah. service to somebody. So I think yeah. like it's a weird balance you have to strike of acknowledging everybody is egocentric to an extent, mm-hmm. but it's like incorporating mm-hmm a care yeah. for others within your egocentricness? Yeah, well, I think we've all had the situation where like you're on a subway and you let the pregnant woman sit down while you're standing up and you want everyone to be like, 
Like, good for you. Like, we all want that. Uh, that's but how, I think it's a it's a muscle to strengthen to be able to let that person sit down and just go on with your day and not expect anything from it. And I think we just live in a world that's um, rewarding, like a reward-centric world. And that's just, it's a hard muscle to, you know, stop trying to flex. Yeah, because it, it almost goes back to the whole, like, you're owed something for doing yeah. well. And um, ultimately, I don't know, the earth... The earth yeah. doesn't give the earth doesn't give a fuck about you. The it's, earth does um, what the earth The childhood does. trauma in all of us just showing itself, I think. No doubt. But I feel like my I should probably let my my lady sleep. I feel bad. This has been a really nice long conversation. We should have a part two. Yeah, um, definitely, man. I've actually gotten to the point now where I think I've had three people on twice. Really? Yeah. I mean, you're I the. Like, you're I hate the. That I- later for me what time oh during the same time zone yeah but um, it's 10 49 but enjoying this a lot no thank you dude you're the 180th guest i don't know if you'll be the 180th episode because i'm trying to like balance out some political mm-hmm. people who have come on and i like to drop them all simultaneously um in fairness <laughs> um mm-hmm. but yeah dude no i've 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 really enjoyed getting to know you i've enjoyed your like your personality, man. Like you've just got such good energy. We didn't even get into your art, which I thought we were going to talk about and kind of well, focus I'd on. Well, I'd come back if you have, uh, would want to have me on, truly. Yeah. The only thing that's holding us back is time. So that's. Uh, I truly, like, it's just so nice to have somebody that is just eager to talk to people and just time passes so quickly when you're in these situations. And if you just keep going with it, I know it'll just grow for sure. Cool. Well, thank you. And if you and yours ever come to the gay summer capital of the East Coast, Rehoboth Beach, feel free to shoot me a message, man. I'm oh, around, yeah. you know. I love that. And then I could always just follow follow up with you about the details and like how to access all this stuff, right? Oh, what do you mean? Podcast or my upstairs? Yeah. No, your your social security <laughs> and your credit card number. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, for sure. I'll tag it when I post this shit, man. Um, so yeah, send me a... Well, I'll, I'll email you and tell you anyways. Um, afterwards. Okay, cool. But no, dude, yeah, absolutely. Like you'll 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 know when the pod's up, man. Awesome. Well, I'm sorry to cut it short. It is just late, and I really hope we could do it again. Yeah. And that was really cool. You're a really great guy. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> Thank you for being nice to me. I appreciate great it. Great help. <laughs> That's it. That's the end. <laughs> Have a good one. Later. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, Friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.